Hey guys, welcome back again to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's episode 13 as we close out the month of February in 1996. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me as always, Mr. Steve Ekstat. Steve, welcome back to some more Monday Warfare. Yeah, it's been a minute, so uh, I'm happy to be back and back in this uh, wonderful land of wrestling in 1996, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, you know, once we close out this episode of Money Warfare February, that's a total of six whole months of the war wow. so far. Yeah, it's crazy to think that six months, it doesn't seem like it was all that long ago that it started. They've had six months to to, uh, to fire some <laughs> shots back and forth, and they're really hot and heavy in that right now between threatening of lawsuits oh, yeah. and the billionaire Ted skit, skits and everything Bischoff's doing on his side. So it's pretty crazy right now. And probably the craziest thing of all, in WCW news, as we get going here in the second half of February, WCW fires Brian Pillman as of February 15th. It's noted that Brian Pillman then showed up on February 17th, two days later, Saturday, at the ECW arena. In part of his quest to convince people he's completely lost his mind, Pillman was in character from the time he showed up in Philadelphia, showing up at the building wearing a Laparka mask to hide that he was even there and pretending to only be able to speak Japanese backstage. <laughs> Pillman did an angle in the ring where they turned the house lights out, and when they came on, Pillman was in the ring and received an enormous baby face pop, which continued when he called the current WCW head, Eric Jerkoff. Pillman then called the audience smart marks in a derogatory way and did an obscenity-laced interview that got most, but not all, of the audience to turn to finally turn against him. Good job there by uh, flying Brian, or, well, he's not flying anymore at this point. Finally, Brian said he was going to pull out his Johnson and piss all over the front row, at which point Paul Heyman, Todd Gordon, and Shane Douglas, who's also part of the decision-making team now that he's back, uh, they all come out to stop Pillman from doing so, with Heyman saying to Pillman that this wasn't part of the deal, and Pillman doing his Booker Man line to Heyman. Eventually, Pillman did a worked attack on a fan, even pulling out a fork and ended up being hauled off of the building by the local security force while Shane Douglas looking for a piece of him never laid a hand on him. Brian Pillman was then in character for the rest of the night at the hotel swearing at the fans. Pillman was officially or at least very publicly fired by WCW on Thursday, although there are claims he's still on the payroll as there are indications the company is going to great and even laughable lengths to try and get everyone to believe it's a shoot. The Meltz reports there was actually more reaction on both the 900 number hotline and the internet towards this Pillman angle than there has been in the past to the Shawn Michaels collapse angle, as well as the Lex Luger and Medusa jumps largely because of people not being sure if this is a shoot or a work. I must say I was involved, not in the business at the time, but I was involved as a fan at the time, and it confused the hell out of me. I didn't even know what the hell was going on. Obviously, people inside the business didn't even know what the hell was going on. No, Pillman did an excellent job of blurring the line. I think, I don't know who came up with this idea. I'm sure it was him, but uh, he bought into it immediately, and he took it to links that really no character has done before or since, to be honest with you. I guess it's uh, one of those things that you can really only do once, kind of like the Sixth Sense type deal when you watch it and you know, oh, gotcha moment at the end. Um once you see it and know it, like you can't really do it again. So Pillman definitely took this to the next level. Um, I'm not surprised with the hotline stuff either. 
because this is like a culmination of so many different things to where you feel like this dude's just going off the rails, whereas Luger jumped and then he's on Nitro the next week challenging for the title. Obviously, that was not – I mean, that was it. Uh, Medusa jumping the tri- the belt. Like, that's pretty much definitive. I could see the Shawn Michaels maybe when pushing a little bit, but – after like three or four weeks, she kind of knew what was up. So this one, I could see why the hotline and the internet was full of a buzz with this because dude gets fired and then he's in ECW two days later. Well, I mean, that's that's unheard of, really. Yeah, I liken this to the old school days where you had the guys, the, the fans that knew wrestling was fake, so to speak, if you will. But there was always that one. But now when he's in the ring, it's real. You know, when Dick the Bruiser's in the <laughs> ring, it's real. When the Sheik's in the ring, it's real. That Those matches are real. The rest of the stuff's phony. You know, and that's what right, I like in this, right. too. It's like everything else on the show, that's nah, not real. This this has to be real. There's He's not even, he's an ECW. People didn't jump from one company to another back then unless they worked for the other company. So yeah, it right. was definitely, definitely something they definitely that put, never been done before. Never been done before. I, I used to do that whole thing with ECW. I'm like, yeah, ECW is a little bit realer than other ones. <laughs> I used to argue with my dad about that because he always, ah, oh, it's fake. I'm like, man, this one isn't that. This is ECW, man. They beat the shit out of each other here. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Brian Pillman, man, what a thing he has going here. And I'm. This is not the last time. I'm sure we're going to be talking about Brian Pillman here in 1996. What we will be talking about next is a little more about old Christopher Cruz. We've talked about him in the past and his grumpy. He's kind of like the uh, Ole Anderson of announcers at this point in his life here in uh, 2021. Anyway, if you check out his Facebook page, seems like he was uh, sporting a little Ole Anderson here in 1996 as well. As Demeltsport reports that Chris Cruz wrote a scathing letter about Gordon Soley to the newsletter Wrestling Perspective. Cruz complained about Sully criticizing the current announcing. Cruz saying that they all prepared for their jobs right now more diligently than Sully had in his past 10 years, saying Sully would wing it and rest on his laurels. Cruz also talked about Sully's often legendary drinking and said Sully overstayed his career in the sport by more than a decade and was mad about his criticism of WCW, calling him a bitter old fool and an old windbag. Cruz's uh, favorite line nowadays, he refers to everyone as rubes, but Chris Cruz here just showing uh, a little bit of what well, basically what we see of him right now on social media in, the, in today's day and age, way back here in 1996. For those not uh, aware of what Cruz is attacking Gordon over here, and Steve, I'm sure you might you may not know either. Sully had retired, obviously, from WCW by this point, and I think he started crapping on the product right around the time that monster truck thing happened. Like Gordon said, I'm glad I'm out of this, you know. I, and uh, I can't really blame yeah. Gordon, you know, come, not just coming from a different era, but even in 1995, I was like, what the hell is this? You know what I mean? These monster trucks. So uh, obviously Gordon uh, didn't want to move on with the times and Cruz took exception to that and uh, let Gordon have it here. I didn't really care about this part where he goes off on Gordon's drinking because even though it's mentioned nowadays, Jim Ross brings it up or Tony Schiavone. They don't do it like they don't do it to blast Gordon. They just kind of point out some of the issues that that, that uh, befell Gordon later, especially later in his career, because it it was more of an issue. Um, but other than that, yeah. I mean, seems unnecessary. The, you know, Chris Cruz at this point had replaced Gordon on Pro, if I remember correctly, and he might have been doing Prime by this point. Other than that, Chris Cruz is like your uh, D E announcer here, so it's kind of odd to to hear him do this. 
Well, I mean, he's just protecting the company he works for and uh, defending it. And he's coming from a position of he does the same job as Gordon Soley. I mean, Tony Schiavone's not going to come out and say anything like this. Eric Bischoff definitely isn't in the position that he's in. Bobby Heenan is Bobby Heenan. So, I, I mean, it makes sense that he is because he's kind of on the bottom of the totem pole. Nobody's really going to give a shit what he has to say just because he is that low on the totem pole. So Kind of ballsy to be that low to- on the totem pole and uh, blast a legendary announcer. Is, uh, it makes you wonder if uh, if maybe he was told. Mm-hmm. You never know. Yeah. Uh, he he could have been, hey, hey, Bischoff's like, hey, man, nobody cares about you. Go go bag on Gordon <laughs> Sully for trashing our product. Nobody <laughs> cares about you, Chris Cruz. <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to bat an eye. Like, like me and you, are, we're just going to look like, who the hell is Chris Cruz to trash Gordon Soley? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he may be resting on his laurels and not studying, but that dude came up with the one-liner of all one-liners at the class show we just watched on the grenade. And what the hell is Chris Cruz member- remembered for? Uh, Nothing? Dressing up, as, uh, dressing up in a diaper as Baby New Year on an episode of Prime, if I remember correctly. Oh, gee, yeah, if That's... you remember that, you're Mark or something. You just watch everything. <laughs> like The only thing I know Chris Cruz on is uh, is when Worlds Collide pay-per-view, and I thought he did an excellent job there. I he thought he did really a great job. At... Yeah, even on the even on the countdown, getting everybody ready. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah I want to like Chris Cruz, but Chris story. Cruz doesn't want you to like him. It's the way, the way, the, sounds, it's like way it's Hart, huh? sounds like Ole Anderson. <laughs> bitter old man. Yeah. Bret Hart. Just bitter. You can't just, I don't know, man. Those people, I love Bret Hart. Only Anderson's cool with me. I don't care. I never had to deal with him. Um, so <laughs> I just think, like, is is it really worth it? Is the stress and the negativity and everything that you're putting yourself through just because you're mad at the world every single day? Like, I couldn't wake up like that. I got to yeah. look in the mirror like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Everything's so shitty. Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it reminds up. me of an episode of South Park where Stan, everything Stan sees is shit. Music is yeah. shit. Food shit. Everybody walking down the street shit. It sounds like yeah, that, I can see Bret Hart walking around looking looking at things like that. Oh my god. We'll move on with one last uh, piece of news here as we move into Nitro. Not really a big piece of news, but I thought thought it was kind of interesting for what it leads into. Uh, it's reported that Mike Enos, who was Blake Beverly of the Beverly Brothers, and of course Enos and Bloom together also were part of the Destruction Crew in the AWA. He was backstage. At center stage, by the way, there will be no more center stage tapings moving forward. So we saw the beginning of center stage in 1989 when we were doing the grenade. And now we're witnessing the end of center stage here for Saturday night in 1996 as a new company has purchased the building and they are getting rid of all of their contractual obligations. So no more center stage here as of 1996. Anyways, the reason I brought this up was because it's kind of an end of an era, the 89 to 96 center stage era, but also because Mike Enos was backstage looking for a job. And then we know he finally eventually does show up here and debut <laughs> and it's, it's totally squashed. It's killed. Not just because he's thrown a- out there against, I think Steve Dahl or Steve Dunn and well done, but because yep, Scott yep. Hall makes his debut at the same time, Blake Beverly makes his yep. debut. So you tell me which one everybody's going to remember. So I just thought that was funny when I read that he's here looking for it. Oh, you'll get a job, all right. You'll get a job. Yeah, I liken it to uh, this is going to be morbid a little bit, but Farrah Fawcett dying the same day as Michael Jackson. <laughs> so it's just like the one thing she did wrong in her life. I don't know. She could have done other things, but she died the same day as Michael Jackson. So um, everybody's talking about Mike, and oh, it's 
little old fair faucet down there. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate you make your debut when Scott Hall changes the face of wrestling as we know it. He's a, he's a trivia question. Who was in the ring when Scott Hall made his debut on Nitro? So I guess that's something, right? Right. Absolutely. The Mauler was was his name. That's one good thing out of it is once he once he does debut as the Mauler, at least he gets repackaged almost immediately as uh, Mean Mike Enos. I don't know that that's a whole lot better, but it's better than the Mauler. I always pop when I see him. I think he's one of those guys that take the Steiner screwdriver at those Atlanta tapings or MGM tapings or wherever the hell they're at down in Florida with, during the uh, Olympics. I don't know that anybody has a, t- uh, has an option but to take it. If if Scott's going to do it, you're going to take it. <sighs> Good God. <laughs> that move. I can't wait to see it. Anyway. We, we'll kick we things off. Do- yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll kick things off at WCW Monday Nitro for February 19th here in Salisbury, Maryland. Hey, we just saw uh, NWA in 89 go to Salisbury. And uh, they're here in front of 4,700 fans, only 3,800 paid. I wrote, what the fuck is Pepe wearing this time? Looks like an Indian, or I'm sorry here, in today's day uh, world, it's a Native American. Uh, we kicked the show off, though. It's Hulk Hogan in the ring as you kick the show off, taking on Arn Anderson, accompanied the ring by a woman. This is the rematch after Arn Anderson has recently pinned, you heard me right, Hulk, uh, Arn Anderson pinned Hulk Hogan, as we talked about on the last episode of The Grenade. The, show, the match starts with Hogan actually attacking Arn Anderson and dominating the entire match. And it was terrible because Hogan whiffed and missed on almost everything. And Arn just selling it anyway, as if he's getting hit. Made it look twice as bad. Hogan takes an awful Irish whip. It's like he doesn't even understand how to run into a corner. He stops midway, turns around, kind of staggers around, and finally falls into the corner. It's just absolutely terrible. And as the match goes on, Arn Anderson looks for the DDT center ring and Hulk just simply doesn't bump. They don't even do the spot by the ropes so that Hulk can grab the ropes because he's Hulk Hogan. Why does he have to grab the ropes? He just stands there and doesn't take the bump. Arn does. And then Hulk hulks up without even taking a fucking move. This is absolutely getting out of control. And Hulk Hogan locks in the figure four leg lock. I wrote, what the fuck kind of finish is this? As Kevin Sullivan does a run-in, but Randy Savage is trying to make the save, but Savage is so fast, he runs past Kevin Sullivan doing the run-in and gets in the ring first, thus causing Savage, or Savage thus causing Hogan to be disqualified. Absolutely ridiculous. Just what the fuck? How did he even know Sullivan was running in? Sullivan was halfway down the the. The aisle, the camera had never even panned to him yet. Savage comes trucking out 300 miles an hour, runs past Kevin Sullivan instead of stopping him, gets in the ring to cut him off at the pass, I suppose. And and that causes Hogan, Hogan to be disqualified here. Seven minutes and two seconds. Arn Anderson defeats Hulk Hogan for the second time in a row, this time by DQ. And that explains also why Hogan dominated the entire match. What did you think of this one? Uh, it, it was shit um, for the most part. Uh, there were some pretty noticeable Hogan sucks chants going on. Um, Hogan well, he was did. Just being he sloppy. deserved them here more than any other week. <laughs> he des- This was fucking embarrassing. I I, actually, he, my last uh, note here was: When did Hogan suck this bad? Like it's like he forgot how. It's almost like Tom Zink in 1989. He forgot how to wrestle. This is even worse. Yeah, it, it was pretty bad. The finish was the finish. I don't even really care anymore. Uh, Hogan's just about gone for four or five months, so thank God for that. That's a that's a blessing in disguise. 
Hogan's been jobbing. He's been taking the shit from Flair and the women and, and Arn and two weeks in a row he's lost. So he's just, he's kind of, I don't know if he's doing it on purpose just to make him look like shit or if it's just nobody, nobody checks Hogan. Nobody goes to him and says, you're not going to do this in the ring. You're looking like garbage. You're being lazy. Get your shit together. You're getting out. That type of, nobody's going to confront him or stop him from doing this. So uh, that's when Hogan got this bad. Vince McMahon is going to cut him off and say, you're not doing this shit here. Yeah, it was, think, uh, it was bad, I think mentally man. Hogan knew, like, I, I don't know. Like, he's probably thinking, okay, I'm not getting over. There's nothing I can do about this. This company's crap. It's ran like crap. It's the same junk over and over and over. Who gives a crap? I suck. Everybody sucks. Nobody's doing anything they need to be doing. Who cares? Whereas Vince would never let that mentality set in. So I think... I think that really does have a big play, a big part in it. He's look, he looks better in like 2003 when he can barely get up for the leg drop than he does here in Nitro in '96. Yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy. Uh, just yeah, it's absolutely terrible. Like, how, how do you how do you miss every move by a foot? It it was uh, just terrible. I, I felt bad for Arn Anderson here, and it wasn't like Hogan was sab- sabotaging Arn because it was Hogan the one no. throwing all the offense. He looked like shit. Yeah. It was funny at the beginning, though, Arn getting his jacket caught on backwards. Yeah, yeah. And him trying to get out of it, that was great. Uh, just one of his Aloha Arns from, we'll steal that from OSW. The Aloha Arn type deal. He was trying to do that, getting out of the jacket, and it was great. That was really the best part of the whole match, and that's the very first 30 seconds. So um, after that, it was all downhill. Yeah, so Arn Anderson, though, picks up the win. after this. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. get any better, that's for sure. So Arn Anderson picks up the win by DQ. <laughs> Seven minutes and two seconds. Then we move on to Das Wanderkind. Alex Wright taking on the Loch Ness Monster. Old Nessie here. Giant haystacks from the UK. And I'm sure he had plenty of battles. They all probably they were both usually heels. So I'm sure he knows Alex's uh, father, Steve Wright, pretty well from over there in the uh, worlds of sport uh, region. But it's his son here that Loch Ness has to contend with is Alex, right? With several, a series of not really a lot else, lot else Alex could really do. Lots of drop kicks, lots of drop kicks here by Alex Wright and even tries a sleeper on the poor Loch Ness monster. I thought for sure he was going to smash poor Wright, but thank God he didn't. Instead, he snapmares Alex over his head and locks in a bear hug because that's pretty much all this guy can do. So Loch Ness is backed up in the corner, and Alex Wright rushes in, but you know <laughs> Loch Ness can't get his foot up very high, so it ends up landing into Alex Wright's lower gut area, and Alex is forced to take a bump from said shitty boot, and then it's the big nasty elbow drop, ends this train wreck, two minutes and 20 seconds. Alex Wright tries his heart out here, but what can you do with a guy that's easily over 500 pounds and immobile? Uh, nothing. I mean, he did his best. Uh, he was even trying to do things like get on the top rope to get the sleeper hold on just to balance him out a little bit. But, I mean, there was really absolutely nothing Alex Wright could have done to make this better. And uh, it's really unfortunate. I, I don't know whose idea it was to bring this guy in, but uh, money wasted. Shocker there. He's just well past his time to be even be in the ring. And you mentioned it before. We know where it ends. Shortly after this, he ends up passing away, and he doesn't look good here at all not necessarily as a wrestler just in general he, he looked pretty rough so um bad idea whoever this was 
Yeah, so they bring him in to work with Hogan, and I think night number one, if not night one, night two, by night two, uh, <laughs> when Loch Ness took on Scotty Riggs, I think that was pretty much it. I think I think Hogan looked and said, I'm not wrestling him, brother, because they pretty much gave up on it from that point forward, and the, they, they, they get rid of Loch Ness pretty fast here. He's gone by the end of Uncensored, so we'll, we'll talk about that as the uh, Nitros continue on. This week on WCW Saturday Night, it's TV champion Johnny B. Bad against Chris Benoit, tag team champion Sting and Lex Luger taking on Public Enemy. Ooh, that does not sound pretty. Conan goes up against Scott Armstrong and the Road Warriors in tag team action. As we go back to the ring here on Nitro, it's another Armstrong, Brad Armstrong. So it's an Armstrong invasion here all of a sudden in WCW. Is Brad? Well, that makes that kind of makes sense because Smoky Mountain folded in November. And Vince took a lot of the guys, but he didn't take the Armstrongs for whatever reason. So Brad's back in WCW taking on the Belfast Bruiser, also known as Fit Finley. Finley dominates this match, but Brad Armstrong tries to make a comeback with a nice back suplex. A very brief comeback, mind you, as he runs into a tilt-a-whirl. It was a really nice tilt-a-whirl power slam by the Belfast Bruiser. Finley picks up the win. Six minutes, 47 seconds. Overall, given the guys involved, I thought this was a disappointing match only because I was expecting something great between these two. Brad really wasn't given much here at all uh, as they're really building Finley for Steve Regal at Uncensored. It was a long six minutes. The finish was good. It was just a lot of uh, that European type offense that Finley does and what Regal does. It just For whatever reason, they just didn't click, I didn't think. Uh, maybe it was because Brad didn't get a lot of time to work a little bit faster and do some of his offense. He just got dominated. So it dragged a little bit, but nothing like offensive at all. And then, of course, the entire time Finley's in there beating on Brad, uh, Bischoff's basically selling Brad as a cruiserweight for the upcoming cruiserweight division. So he's already got Brad uh, labeled a cruiserweight here, unfortunately. Uh, that's the one thing I hated about uh, what they did with the cruiserweights. They, they acted like they were in their own division and they couldn't compete outside of that division. As we continue on, this is not on the network, but I wanted to take a note here. It was promo time here with Steve Grissom again, who drove the WCW race car to victory at the Goodies 300 in Daytona Beach on February 17th. Be- and this is why I wanted to make note. It had Harlem Heat, Sting, and Lex Luger in the pit crew. It's kind of funny to see four guys who are feuding working together here in a pit crew and holding Grissom up as the winner's circle after the race. It's also funny to note that no mention at all that Grissom came back the next day in a Turner car at the Daytona 500 and finished 27th. <laughs> That's so, great. So I know this didn't air on the network, but how did you, how would you feel if you were watching this at the time and you know Harlem Heat's in the middle of this feud with Sting and Luger and then you see them completely break, breaking kayfabe here, hoisting him up over their head as he he won the goodies 300 here. Uh, it probably would have meant nothing to me. I, I wouldn't have looked at it that way. Look at it right now. <laughs> Look at it in today's world. Wouldn't you say that, uh, I mean, you have 900 people on your roster. You couldn't find two other guys to come out there instead of Harlem Heat? <laughs> well, he wanted Johnny B. Bad out there, but uh, Johnny <laughs> B. Bad said he had a birthday party to go well, to for Johnny his daughter. Johnny B. Bad will so, be um, not around here in about two weeks. Soon. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I mean, if if everybody else is like taken up, or Macho and Hogan probably ain't gonna do it. So I, I mean, what do you do? I, I don't know. But I, looking at it now, like this, it's in 2020. Like, who gives a shit? You got guys playing Twitch 
video games together after they just get in a feud on TV. Well, that's the problem with, with, what, with what's wrong with wrestling Absolutely. now. <laughs> so, like, looking at it now, like, it would be nothing. It'd be like, oh, that's cool. They're hanging out outside the show. Like, oh, they must be, <laughs> who cares? They must be putting together in their next match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so, I don't know, man. It's just promotional work. At the end of the day, I think you realize they work for a company that's trying to do business. And uh, I don't know. So it we is kicked- what it is. They, like you mentioned last week, they spend way too much time on the NASCAR shit. Right. So we kick off this week's, or sorry, we kicked off this week's episode of Nitro with Hogan and Arn. Now we got Ric Flair out here, WCW champion. Ric Flair, I should say, accompanied to the ring by woman and Miss Elizabeth, taking on the Macho Man. Macho Man getting a rematch here for his belt. I feel, you know, as big as this match is, I feel like we see this every other week. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't have anything to, it doesn't have any flair to it, if you will, at this point. As the, the match gets going, Savage uh, sit into the crowd, and they even fight in the aisleway. Ric Rick Flair runs into a Macho Man elbow, does the flare flop. Savage then tosses Flair off the top rope with the big press, and Savage with the figure four leg lock. on the na- I hadn't seen Savage apply that before, that I can recall anyway. But Ric Flair makes it to the ropes to break his own figure four. It's back and forth until Ric Flair locks in the figure four this time, but Savage turns it over, forcing Ric Flair to break the hold. Ric Flair lays in the nasty chops as Savage machos up, not Hulk's up, machos up, and Ric Flair takes a rough backdrop. It, was, it wasn't pretty. We get the <laughs> Ric Flair flip up into the corner to the apron and back inside for Macho Man and the double axe handle. This is when Miss Elizabeth distracts referee Nick Patrick, allowing woman to throw her shoe into the ring. But Savage intercepts and nails the nature boy with woman's shoe. And this is when Kevin Sullivan and Hulk Hogan do run-ins, which distract the referee, which allows another run-in. This time, Arn Anderson runs in. DDT on the Macho Man. Ric Flair makes the cover, picks up the win. 11 minutes, 27 seconds. I, and I, even though we saw about 8 trillion run-ins here at the end of the match, and even though we've seen this match about 800 times in the last several weeks, I did note here, I thought in this particular match, both guys turn back time here. A little bit for me. Uh, I thought they were a little faster than usual. I thought their bumps were a little more youthful than usual. I, I enjoyed this match more than I have some of their other recent bouts anyway. I hated all the run-ins. It's just overkill. Yeah, I don't like the finish at all. The run-ins are getting ridiculous and redundant. You can just you can just count on it happening uh, every big match that they put on Nitro. So they're giving us big-name matches, but they're not delivering as far as what you would want you're just expecting the dirty finish but uh, my first comment here is like how many times do we see this crap in the first eight months of nitro i I wish we should have kept track and then uh you watch the match and it's like damn this is a good match it was really really good like like you said they kind of turned back the clock a little bit decided to put their working boots on and, and and get to work and make this one stick out for whatever reason i don't know what the the um, intention was, I don't know if they, I just can't see Flair Macho just going through the motions as performers. It's not in them to do that. And uh, you can tell it here. So the match was really good. The finish was shit and everything that happened afterwards was shit too. But we haven't really talked about that yet. So, ah, yes. The post-match shenanigans is what I have it labeled. It's Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan attacking Hulk Hogan when out of nowhere, 
It's Mr. Ed Leslie, the booty, 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 booty man, makes his debut in his booty, booty, booty gear, very similar to his Brutus Beefcake gear, by the way. The heels don't even sell it as if they're shocked. It's like they've seen this guy on the card every week for the last six years. Booty man hits the ring and they just go after him. Okay, that's fine. And booty. I can't believe I'm saying this. This is his nickname here. Booty unloads on all three men. Brutus Beefcake takes out Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Kevin Sullivan. He must be Hogan's buddy. They all powder, take a powder. They hit the, they hit the floor. They hit the deck hard, Steve, to get the hell out of the ring. Yeah. And he was just Zodiac last week. No reference yet that he was Zodiac, however, as Ric Flair and company storm the announce table. But Booty Man runs them off. And he begins running in place on the announce table. I wrote, what the fuck is going on? Hulk Hogan and company run off all the heels. Bobby Heenan takes off as well as Hulk wants a six-man tag next week. It's Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Kevin Sullivan taking on Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man, and the booty, 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 booty man, brother. Who the fuck came up with this? What is this gimmick? Who thought this was a good idea? I don't get it. And Beefcake doing his best 1987 Survivor Series impersonation looked all coked up here as he couldn't stay still during the promo to close the show. Mean Gene finally catches up with them and has uh, has a few words with Hogan. Hogan introduces the booty man, obviously, here. This is where we come to learn his name. And I remember watching this when it aired and me thinking I, I wasn't hearing that right. Uh, it, was, it had to be saying some other word than booty. But no, it turns out to be the booty man. Uh, Demeltz calls this the worst Nitro since the start. I don't know about that. There's been a couple pretty boring ones. Uh, This was probably a little more livelier than that. But booking-wise, it very well may have been another runover. But without the Grissom promo, it would look like it's a normal time here on the network. I don't know, man. The Brutus stuff is fine. I, I, I don't know where you come up with booty man when you're trying to just recreate Brutus Beefcake. I'm sure Vince owns the name, so they can't use that, obviously, or they would have. Maybe he likes ass. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know why you would call him that or why he was ever called that. Yeah, it's just your typical finish to Nitro. They do this every single time. Somebody's ending up at the announce table, and then the next group's coming behind them. He's running them off, and then they take over, and then it's just all hell breaking loose and excitement. And me, like, I'm already tired of it. I mean, you... You can only do that so many times to where you're just like, like I don't even care to see what happens next week on Nitro. And I'm sure that's why they do that is to make you want to tune in the following week to see what happened. But when it happens every single week, like who cares anymore? It's already worn out as welcome. So I think we mentioned that last week, but it's just rinse, wash, repeat, guys. That's kind of how it feels like how their booking is. Well, it's Nitro, guys. We got to get Hogan to go over everybody and shenanigans and run-ins and everything else. Rinse, wash, repeat. If you pay attention to how this started, the the interviews at the end of the show at the announce table, it was Ric Flair uh, storming mm-hmm. the announce table, the heels cutting the promo there, the baby faces cutting him in the ring. But it was different. It was unique. It was more entertaining, really. The the Flair portion of those back uh, back and forth promos. And I think Hogan saw that. Oh, we got to do that too, brother. So now, instead of Flair doing it, it's Flair doing it, and then they run him off so Hogan can close the show. Because it was Mean Gene in the ring before now Mean Gene's having to run up here to justify Mean Gene being on TV. He has to actually run up on the announce booth to, to interview Hogan. It looks absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how long before we, we return to the Hogan promos in the ring. Uh, but segment of the night, Steve, was it Arn beating Hogan for a second time? Was it 
Flair versus Savage, even though the finish was shit? Was it Loch Ness? Or was it the booty, 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 booty man, brother? Uh, it was definitely Flair and Savage. I know I kind of trashed it. Like, we see it too many times, but at the same time, they, like I said, they came into work tonight, and uh, this match is really good. It's one of the better matches they've had in a while, so I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I was like, yeah, here we go again, and then I watched the match. I was like, oh, wow, that was really good. I need some more of that, I think. But uh, I just wish there was more steam and... It's pretty crazy. Liz trades on Macho Man and joins Ric Flair, and there's still really nothing worth making this match feel significant or important. And that's huge. And in in the grand scheme of things, like if this was WWF, it would be huge. In WCW, it was huge for about 24 hours. Yeah, if it was WWF, it would definitely feel more important. But this was just another angle to get to the next nitro uh, there's no reason or significance behind it at all uh no importance because we've seen woman trade and then a week later liz trades and we see this all the time this is this is what nitro becomes known for is all these swerves and everything and i mentioned it a few times and i'll mention it again everybody blames vince russo for this shit but bischoff was doing it way before 98 99 this was going on in 95 96 as soon as they went live on nitro so if you want to trash vince russo go for it i don't care yeah but there's bischoff plenty of other things you can thing. trash vince russo for yeah and but bischoff's <laughs> doing the same stuff so um equally trash yeah so my segment tonight has to be savage and flair too hated the finish but it was the only thing on the show salvageable as far as the wrestling match goes Loch Ness no thanks and Hogan was just atrocious in there with Arn Anderson and then booty man nah I'll pass on that as well as we go over to the WWF side of things but before we do let's quickly talk in your house six which took place the night before February 18th of the Louisville Gardens we actually have that up right now on patreon.com slash wrestlecopia all you have to do is subscribe to the all access tier five dollars to get you all of our watch along and the watch along series there. And that includes the pay-per-views that coincide with the Monday warfare program. Quick results. See the free for all Jake, the snake Roberts over Tatanka with the DDT in five minutes, 36 seconds, razor Ramon over the one, two, three kid in the cry baby match in 12 minutes and one second. Triple H gets the win over Duke, the dumpster Josie in nine minutes and 40 seconds. Yokozuna beat the British bulldog on a disqualification in five Oh five after Vader, Attacks Yoko. They actually handcuff him and beat him down. Shawn Michaels retains his spot in the main event of WrestleMania by defeating Owen Hart in 15 minutes and 57 seconds. And in the main event of In Your House, WWF champion Bret Hart over Diesel inside the steel cage in 19 minutes and 13 seconds when The Undertaker opens up the canvas and pulls Diesel down to the bowels below. And uh, that pretty much, that was uh, In Your House in a nutshell. I actually... A, a very solid show from top to bottom. This is one I really, you know, didn't watch a whole lot. Didn't remember a whole lot about it as far as the, the work rate, but it was really good for the most part from, from beginning to end. Yeah. It started, it started off with the dude, the trash with Jake and Tatanka, but the actual pay-per-view itself. Um, yeah, really. It started really good with the kid and razor. And I was like, okay, this is going to be the match that kind of steals the show. And then all of a sudden, Owen and Sean put on a clinic, man. They were excellent. And um, Diesel and Brett was solid in the cage. 
for five minutes. Duke and was it five or nine? Nine. Did you say yeah? Nine minutes. Triple H and Josie was solid. Uh, Josie started to show some more aggression and things like that. So yeah, it was uh, top to bottom. I think it was probably the better one of the better in your houses up to this Absolutely. point. Absolutely, yeah, definitely, most definitely. And we move on to the next night. It's Monday Night Raw live in the Cincinnati Gardens in front of 8,500 fans for February 19th. And the quick WWF news, Jeff Jarrett suffered a serious back injury on February 17th in Memphis in a match against Ahmed Johnson. Imagine that. Jeff was carried out of the ring and hospitalized. He's out of the hospital now, but no word on when he'll be back. I don't think he does return to the WWF, uh, at least here in 1996. As Raw kicks we'll off, see with, him on Nitro one day. we will see him on Nitro. It's as Eric Bischoff will refer to him. Jeff, I never said I could sing Jarrett, which is kind of funny because that was his entire gimmick. He did say he could sing. As we kick Raw off with Sonny in a black bikini here, as she warns us that viewer discretion is advised, and the show kicks off with a in-your-house recap and then a teaser on the Ultimate Warrior. Wow. And then Larry Fling live? More on that later in the show as well. The show gets going. It's Intercontinental Champion Goldust with Marlena in his corner taking on Razor Ramon. Razor attacks Goldust before he can get his robe off, and feathers go a-flying. Ramon dominates, attempts the Razor's edge, but Goldie backdrops Razor out into the floor as we go to a commercial break. Coming back from break, we see during the commercial, Razor up on the apron. Goldust hits a flying ass smash. Sending Razor back to floor. I wish I wish he had used this more often. I wish Dustin had kept this in his repertoire. He really uh, really nailed Razor here with his flying ass. Sends uh, the bad guy off the apron back to the floor. Meanwhile, we're back live with action. Razor, Razor winds up crotching Goldust on the top rope and nailing a big superplex. Out of character for Ramon there, a superplex. Goldust comes back with a crossbody into Razor, but Razor catches him with an impressive fallaway slam on a guy the size of Goldust, not only a fallaway slam, but over the top rope to the floor. I'm sure Scott Hall enjoyed doing that uh, with the way he's treated Dustin here so far. So he catches a crossbody and does a fallaway slam, sends Goldie over the top rope to the floor. In which Lawler responds, he probably broke his golden globes. Back inside the <laughs> ring, Razor nails the back superplex. And Goldust finally bails out of the ring and takes the count out. Razor picks up the win in 7 minutes and 45 seconds as they continue to try to move towards WrestleMania. Yeah, not a bad match. It was pretty good. Uh, I didn't like the the, the count-out type finish. Uh, that's typical for the WWF. They always have their free TV title matches in that way or some shenanigans. But uh, So I get it. Uh, obviously, you want to get to Mania, but at the same time, it just I, I was enjoying the match and then just kind of abruptly end with the count-out, which sucked. That was my problem with it. Post-match, Razor Ramon on the microphone. He wants Goldust's ass. Goldie might be willing to do so. I don't know if you want to ask for that, Razor. Anyways, Ramon asks for Roddy Piper to sign the rematch. Razor likes the kids and doesn't think Goldust is something kids should be watching on TV. Well, that's a shoot coming from Scott Hall here. Based on the commentary, the impression was given Ramon doesn't care about the Intercontinental title, so it may be a non-title gimmick match that Razor's looking for here. We'll find out that that is the case. DeMelt says perhaps a loser leaves town match. That would have might have been a good idea if Ramon decided to go to WCW, which he does. I think that uh, Meltzer makes a very good point here. They could have done a loser leaves town match at WrestleMania, but, you know, Vince being a vengeful man and all, he wasn't going to give Razor that payday. 
it would made more sense like pay per view wise, but at the same time, he's in the middle of a war and he's losing his ass hand over fist. You want to leave? I'm not paying you out the door. See ya. But you got to remember, Razor does come thing. back and do the job to Vader on pay per view on the way out. So well, it's just okay. kind of odd. That that's fine with me, but <laughs> that mania payday that that mania payday hits a little different in the bank account compared to an in your house. <laughs> we see the Undertaker arrive from his casket. So now, apparently, out of nowhere, the Undertaker now lives in a casket, uh, and it's his home. The way they treat it here on this episode makes you wonder if something's going to happen to this casket for this episode of Raw is over. And we see WWF sweatshirts only thirty to only Steve. $30, a fucking black sweatshirt with an iron-on decal type fucking picture of the wrestlers. No thank you. As Doc Hendricks recaps in your house with his shitty band playing in the back in the background. Uh, no thank you again. So two no thank yous in a row. What a shit segment. As we go back to the ring, Vince McMahon reports it's supposed to be the Body Donnas taking on Barry Horowitz and Aldo Montoya. But before the Body Donnas can even get to the ring, it's Vader. An injured Vader, mind you, in a black shirt to hide his recent surgery on his shoulder, he attacks both men and mauls poor. I don't know why he let Barry Horowitz get off easy. He didn't do a whole lot to Horowitz, but he he killed Aldo Montoya. Stiff shots upside the head and a nasty choke slam. Vader takes out both guys. Yeah, it was awesome. He destroyed the guy. Yeah, I'm wondering why he gave Horowitz the night off. <laughs> We're then treated to an Ultimate Warrior video. I was like, what the hell is going on? Now, I remember seeing at the end of a Superstars, I think it was it was several weeks prior to this, and then no mention of it ever again for several weeks. And here we see it on Raw now. So now I'm sure the Mark and me here in 96, not realizing what we were going to get with the 1996 Ultimate Warrior, was very excited at this point because all they were pumping the TV screen with in front of me right now was 1990. Ultimate Warrior, which I'm, I'm all about. So Vince McMahon questions, what is Roddy Piper up to? An Ultimate Warrior video plays here. So the Ultimate Warrior headed back to the WWF. We know how this ends, but you knew this was only going to end one way. <laughs> that was going to be bad. Well, I didn't know that here in 1996, obviously. I'm just a, a teenager that enjoyed the Warrior, and I'm, looking, I'm, I'm excited oh, to I'd... see him back. And then uh, instead of fucking the Ultimate Warrior, we get a guy talking about Destrucity and a fucking uh, training center and a fucking comic book and a hat on backwards talking about Warrior Man here. I don't need that shit. That's not the fucking Ultimate Warrior. He's sitting here trying to sell his shit on us is what it is. Fucking distrucity. Got nothing for you. If somebody's <laughs> going to pay me to give have an avenue to push my shit, I'm going to take advantage too. I can't get mad at people trying to get money, man. It may not be what you want from them, but at the end of the day, it's all about making money to some of these guys, especially Ultimate Warrior. And if you got a free avenue, then take it. I don't care. So we'll continue on with the show. And for you youngins out there who aren't familiar, many, many, many moons ago, there was a president by the name of JFK. And there was a beautiful woman by the name of Marilyn Monroe who sang him a happy birthday song to Mr. President. And we have Sonny recreate this here. She lays, uh, lays down to sing happy birthday, Mr. President. The problem is, I was curious, who was she referring to? Why were they doing this? So I looked it up. Was it uh, Bill Clinton's birthday? No, no. Was it Roddy Piper's birthday? Nope. Gorilla Monsoons? Uh-uh. It's not even Bob Backlund who's in the, who's, uh, in the crowd right now campaigning for his uh, presidency, if you will. 
It's nobody's birthday that seems to be a president of any type. I, I didn't understand this. Was it President's Day? Mm, ooh, good call. Maybe. Uh, it's February, February 19th. It's a Monday. Well, I guess so. Probably. I guess you're right. But who's the president she's singing happy birthday to? All of them. It's President's Day. But it's not their birthday. It's happy President's so? Day. Well, all right. <laughs> was this when the tape got released of her singing that? I mean, I, I, or was that available like when it when it happened? No, this is the first time she does it. Although she does it to Mr. No, Blassie no, no, at one point too. Oh, not Sunny. No, I the Marilyn Monroe no, tape. No, no, that's that been around since it happened. That's what I was asking. I'm, yeah, yeah. Who knows, man? It's just popular. It's pop culture, man. Shit that happened in the fifties or whatever is. <laughs> Relevant in 1996 to Vince McMahon. Go do that so. shit. That shit was great. Fucking good shit, pal. Pretty much, So yeah. another dose of Sonny here. I'm not going to complain about that. As we go back to the ring, it's Marty Jannetty taking on the ringmaster. Accompanied the ring by Ted DiBiase. DeMelt says, here's the ringmaster, now with a shaved head and shaved off his charisma as well. Meltz also gives him crap for the black tights. None of this shit's going to get over, according to DeMeltz. Really? Shaved head, black tights, not going to work. I don't know about that, David Meltzer. The match gets going. Marty uh, takes over on Steve Austin. What's that? Little did he know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Wow. I thought it was kind of comical myself when I read this here. Uh, but this is obviously, by the time we get to the end of this match, you'll see Steve Austin kind of knows which direction he's headed at this point. As the match gets going, Marty takes over. But land, tries to splash and lands on Steve Austin's knees. And then Steve Austin with the old stun gun, as I marked out as we headed into commercial break. Coming back, it's the ringmaster doing ring work, applying the STF on Janetti and even more submission moves on the mat. He is a ringmaster, after all. Austin winds up telegraphing a backdrop, and Janetti makes the comeback to a dead crowd. This crowd couldn't have been more dead. You would have thought the dynamic dudes or made a hot tag. Steve Austin floats over an atomic drop attempt by Janetti, lands behind Marty, and locks in the Million Dollar Dream. Nice spot there, especially for a heel. And the Million Dollar Dream gets the win for the ringmaster in about eight minutes. And I noted here, at the end of the match, Vince McMahon points out, Look at his eyes! Stone cold this man is! So, black tights, shaved head, He's doing that stone cold look into the camera and Vince is using the word stone cold. So I think it's safe to say by this point, Steve Austin has made the pitch. Yep. And uh, away we go. How wrong is the melts here? (laughs) (laughs) Steve Austin's hair was his charisma. All right. I mean, I I, I thought it was his in-ring work that got him over. I didn't know it was the hair. (laughs) Come on, Meltzer. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on it, but at the beginning of the match, Vince and Lawler were talking about Marty's new partner. And uh, I think Lawler dubbed him the new Rockers, talking about Leaf Cassidy. Right, uh, yeah, and that's what I I noted here. uh, Yeah, I wrote my last note here is Marty Jannetty's last night here as a babyface, as well as a singles competitor. His push is completely over. No more pushes for Marty Jannetty. Just think, two months ago, this guy was just a tear under Razor Ramon going up against Sid and the 1-2-3 kid, and, and now he's going to be relegated to a comedy tag team with Al Snow. It will be Leaf Cassidy and the new and improved Rockers tag team. It's unfortunate. Good luck with that. Yeah. 
We move on to Mankind Vignette number three. He says, on the eighth day, God created mankind. Why was everyone else made normal and mankind made like, well, mankind? And you see a rat crawling around. That's actually Jim Cornette's pet rat, George. I don't know if Cornette called him George, but that's what he's called here. But it's actually Cornette's pet rat, who he loaned to McFoley for these vignettes. So once again, he repeats himself. On the eighth day, God created man. Maybe he should have slept that day, too. Have a nice day. And so mankind on his way to the WWF. You want to talk about Scheme Gene? Let's talk about the WWF Slammy Hotline. 99 cents per minute to vote for things like best buns. Fuck you. (laughs) I'm sure people voted, man. Somebody did, but I mean, fuck's sakes. Fuck's sakes. Your choice between uh, Sonny and Yokozuna? Good God. Yeah. Fucking Vince. Oh, I bet Vince came up with that one. Anyways, we'll move on with the show. It's Undertaker taking on Tatanka. DiBiase back out at ringside for the Native American. Undertaker in control early until Diesel is seen with an axe. He comes out the ringside with an axe in his hand and grabs a cameraman and drags him backstage as we go into commercial. Coming back from commercial break, Tatanka takes control, but up on the video screen, it's Diesel taking that axe to the casket, destroying the Undertaker's home. He just came here in that casket. Don't do that, Diesel. And the Undertaker makes the comeback, nails the flying clothesline, and the old school. Or here in 96, it was probably just eh, junior high. Tatanka escapes the tombstone and nails a pile driver on the Undertaker. I can't believe he let him do that. That was not very safe. As a pile driver from Tatanka, on the, I guess they just wanted it to look more competitive than it actually was. But the Undertaker makes the comeback, the choke slam, and the tombstone ends it. Six minutes, 30 seconds. My only word for this match was awful. Yeah, it was very bad. Uh, Undertaker is really boring right now. I don't and, think this uh, one was just that- the Undertaker. Well, no, I'm just saying in general, like a lot of his matches don't even really excite me at this point. Mm-mm. He's just so slow and boring and his opponents. I love Brett, but at the same time, man, his matches with Undertaker were complete shit because Brett likes to work slow and work a leg or do things like that. And then when Undertaker's working just as slow, if not slower, doing nothing, it's not a good match. And this here was Tatanka's fat and out of shape and can't even really do anything at this point compared to like what you've seen when he first came in 92, 93 in that time frame. those days are well past and, um, giving him somebody like the undertaker. Oh my goodness. Uh, not very good. It did not work. We're going to close out the show with a billionaire Ted sketch. Now he's on the Larry King live show or here. It's Larry fling live part of the BNN billionaire news network. Ted Turner fielding calls. The first calls from Randy in Sarasota. Got a problem with thinning hair. Ted calls him a moron. Larry Fling says he must be from Atlanta. Move on to another call. It's Terry from Tampa, brother. He needs next Monday off. He got knocked out by a size seven women's shoe. So they're ripping on Hogan and the shoe angles now. Then up next, it's Jane. Uh, supposedly Jane Fonda here. That's who was married to Ted Turner at the time. They call her Jane from Hanoi. That's 
from Vietnam. Of course, for those who don't know, that was a big deal back during the Vietnam War. Jane Fonda was a, promo- or a proponent of anti-war, and she actually went over to Vietnam and took their side, basically blasting the army, the, the United States Army, for coming over there and invading. So they're they're giving shit here. She's calling and talking to Ted Turner about his suits, his Sears suits. That's a bad thing, Steve, when you're a billionaire and you're buying your suits at Sears. When Fling started asking questions about the FTC complaint, TBS stockholders finding no record of the tens of millions of dollars in WCW losses and Hogan's salary being put on the books of a more profitable sister company, not WCW. WCW wasn't paying Hulk Hogan. TBS Turner was paying Hulk Hogan. Very different, very interesting as well. As Vince likes to dig deep into this stuff, Ted pretended to have laryngitis at this point. He couldn't answer the questions, saying he must have caught it from all the people in the wrestling company who also have laryngitis, which is a spoof on the Turner-imposed gag order in WCW because they can't talk about the WWF anymore. Larry Fling hoped Ted wouldn't catch anything else from the people in the wrestling company. I found that comical. I hope you don't catch anything else from the people in the wrestling company. There's a lot of dirty people in wrestling. When they said that next week they'd have the Nacho Man and the Huckster as part of Larry Fling Live to talk about their geriatric match at WrestleMania, Ted suddenly speaks up and says he's going to be the referee, thus blowing the entire laryngitis gimmick. I found these this one to be a little more comical than the, the press conference stuff anyway. Yeah, the press conference one is the worst. This one was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty funny. They're digging deep into the whole all the shots that they're pulling here, but yeah, this one it was pretty funny. They did a good job with this one. And we close out raw with the Undertaker and Paul Bear standing over what is left of the Undertaker's casket. Diesel has probably really pissed the dead man off at this point, and that concludes this week's episode of Raw. What's your segment of the night, Steve? Is it Sunny on the Beach? Goldust versus the bad guy, Vader destroying Aldo Montoya, Diesel chopping wood, the ringmaster versus Marty Jannetty getting a little stone cold. There's a lot of things to choose from here. Not, none of it great, but some of it pretty decent. My initial one was Sunny on the Beach with a question mark because, I mean, that's really, uh, like you said, not a lot of very entertaining things here. Um, Razor and Goldust, I guess. I understand the finish and it's fine. It's just not, there was not a lot of action on this show. There's a lot of, vignettes and video packages and stupid shit that they do like the merchandise and the slam jam and right it just wasn't a lot of action here um undertaker was really is really boring at this point he's doing nothing to entertain me really his feud with diesel doesn't really excite me uh I basically you just need mankind to come in and open up the undertaker's offense and that's i know that's what happens after mania so i'm looking forward to that time period uh it's getting close so um, business is about to start picking up uh, for the WWF going forward, but this man, this show was not very good. The Sunny on the Beach segment probably was the best thing on the show for me, especially back then, I have no doubt. Goldust and Razor really aren't clicking here, at least on this episode. The Vader beatdown was cool, but eh. I mean, even you know Austin and Marty was uh, below par for what I felt like they could have been. I can't pick anything here in this day and age that was good on this show to really select. So I'm going to tell you what I would have picked back then. Diesel doing destroying the casket, not because it was a casket, but because it was just so different. It was a different way to attack the Undertaker 
and an, and there was an axe involved, mind you, as well. I remember that sticking out to me way back then when it actually happened. So I'm going to go with that now because I'm channeling myself then, if that makes any sense. Just something very different, just the way they went about th- this part of the feud. Yeah, not a lot of people did a lot of mind games uh, with The Undertaker. Uh, that was kind of new for the time. Diesel showing that he's not afraid of the dark and then doing things to emphasize that was different and unique at the time, especially for feuding with The Undertaker. So I can see that. That makes sense. And? The ratings are in. And while there were viewership records set the past two Monday nights, it continues again this week. The WWF coming off the In Your House pay-per-view, one with a 3.1 rating and a 4.4 share to Nitro's 2.9 rating and 4.1 share. The two combined for a 6.0 would have been the largest total viewership on a Monday night in cable history. About 4 million homes watching professional wrestling at this point. It was a peak week for both Nitro and Raw. Uh, and they got entertained with complete shit on yeah, both shows. A, so it's uh, it's, uh, it's like like I it's like that old uh, story I tell you where where the uh, you know the non wrestling fan walks in the room at the wrong time and the wrong segment when you're watching it. The wrong people decide to tune in this week, and this is what they give them. <laughs> yeah, this it wasn't one segment. You could have walked in at any point and be like, "What the hell am I watching?" I'm interested to see what the ratings are going next week. Speaking of next week, we move on to next week. We it's didn't WC- even do the real winner. The real oh, winner. The real winner. Oh shit! I suppose so. I didn't think there was a real winner this week. It sure <laughs> certainly wasn't me. Not after watching no. this shit. No, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Nitro, and it's it seems to be the norm for me. It's whenever it's two bad shows, I just kind of go with Nitro because it. No matter how bad the action is or what you see on that show, it still feels new. The production, the lighting, the buildings, just everything looks fresh and new and clean. Whereas the WWF just looks dull, slow yeah. and old and uh, things it's like very that. much so, like AEW and NXT today. The, the, the way you're describing the, the look. Yeah, I can see that, but I just think like no matter how bad it is, it still looks different. That's a plus at this point. That's really helping Nitro for me anyway. Yeah, it's so very hard. bright. And- yeah. It's very hard for me to make a decision because I think Savage and Flair was the only good wrestling on either show. Mm-hmm. Then again, I think the Diesel Undertaker shenanigans on Raw was the only good storyline on either show. So it's really a toss-up here for me. Uh, it's like I can't even really pick a winner. If I had a quarter in front of me, I'd toss it. But since you picked Nitro... I guess I'm just going to go raw only because they're kind of furthering angles to set up WrestleMania Vader here, beating people up. He attacked Yoko yesterday. Gold dust and razor still scheduled this point for WrestleMania diesel setting things up with the undertaker. We're seeing the evolution of the ringmaster into stone cold, bunch of little things, nothing good. And there's nothing wrong with picking nitro easily. The better wrestling was on nitro. And that's not even saying a whole lot at this point. No, it's definitely not. And we'll move on to the next week of Monday Nitro, February 26th in Knoxville, Tennessee. In front of 5,200 fans, 37.34 paid. Can't get more specific than that. 3,734 people paid. WCW reportedly wouldn't allow any signs in the building for this show because they were afraid of Jim Cornette would have one of his friends get something on the air once again. Obviously in Knoxville, one of the major towns of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. 
This week it's <laughs> matching Pepe and Steve Mongo as they are in leather jackets this week. I wonder how much a leather jacket for a dog costs. There's a wild granny in the front row here, Steve. I don't know if you caught wind of her throughout this episode. I don't know how you couldn't, especially during this opening match. Yeah, I've seen her. <laughs> <laughs> the She's cops there. see her as well. They have a word with her here before this uh, opening match concludes. It's Sting taking on Big Bubba No Trouble. It's feeling out before Big Bubba takes over with the wild boss man style uppercuts and that big leg straddle over the middle rope. Sting makes the comeback, but runs right into a spine buster. Stinger looking for the Stinger splash later in the match, but Bubba reverses with the Bubba splash. So Sting tried the Stinger splash, but instead we get the Bubba splash in the corner, if you will. Bubba looks out to the granny who's going crazy in that front row and tells her to kiss his ass. Motions for her to kiss his ass. And Bubba begins taunting the granny as he tosses Sting out of the ring right in front of her. I think he did that on purpose. And then at this point, she's going crazy. She's standing up. The old lady's going nuts. She wants to take a shot at Big Bubba. And then uh, I don't even think it was a security guard. I think it was a cop actually came over and have a word with her. And she didn't back down to the cop either. She threw her hands up. You can tell she was arguing with them. So I thought this is really, uh, this is very old school. Those old grannies in the front row back in the territory days, man. She was having none of it. It was pretty funny. Kind of like a, a second uh, ring of entertainment here in this circus. It's back in the ring. It's Sting with a pile driver, but he does a kneeling pile driver on a guy the size of Bubba. I wrote, Oof, because that looked very, very dangerous. And that's not something you really ever see the Stinger do. Yeah, it looked really rough. Thankfully, Bubba was okay because it was ugly. It was bowling shoe ugly, as Jim Ross would say. Yeah, I mean, it was was nasty, indeed. Yeah. And Bubba finally does get back up. The two start trading blows, and Sting goes for the Vader bomb, but lands on Big Bubba's knees and rolls out to the floor. Bubba to the top rope, like he's going to do a dive to the floor. I would have loved to have seen that. But he gets pushed back inside by Sting. Sting then climbs to the top rope, nails the cross body block, and gets the win. Seven minutes and 13 seconds, easily. The best Big Bubba match I've seen in quite a while. It was a really solid TV match. Yeah, he looked pretty good. Sting got the best out of him, and he put in a little effort. Uh, maybe he's just not liking being stuck on Saturday night. So he gets on Monday Nitro oh, and he's like, I'm going to. Jim Duggan tape fist <laughs> shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to. He's like, I'm going to bust my ass tonight. Hopefully I can get on there some more. So. Um, <laughs> Keep me on Nitro. If the booty man can him. be on Nitro, why can't I? I like the big Bubba gimmick. I just wish they had some for him besides shitty Jim Duggan. Yeah. I'm sure he did too. I know he got along with Jim and all, but I'm sure he was still wanting to do something a little more prominent than a few with Jim Duggan for about a year. And then he gets like the biker dungeon gimmick looking thing. Uh, Oh, don't even remind me. That was, looks like he needs a bath. Yeah, I was done with him. He did that. (laughs) I never thought I'd be done with the boss man, but I was done with him. He turned Uh, around when he got the vents again. So promo time. Mean Gene interviews Sting with the total package Lex Luger. The Road Warriors come out and challenge Sting and Luger to a match, which Lex accepts. This is getting good here. The challenge, he says, any match, any time. Sting doesn't look so sure of this as Lex Luger accepts that challenge. Luger is from Chicago? He doesn't know Chicago, says the roadies. Lex is from the white-collar area of Chicago. The roadies are from the (laughs) streets. So the Road Warriors challenge Lex Luger to a Chicago street fight at Uncensored in Tupelo on March the 24th. Lex, of course, accepts the match and then responds, 
What does that mean anyway? And then Sting says, what did you say? And Lex says, I'm from Chicago, but what is a street fight anyway? <laughs> I thought this was hilarious. Uh, a, different, oh, yeah. a, a different layer to Lex Luger here this week. Pure comedy gold from Luger, who is uh, selling it up like, yeah, we'll fight you anywhere, anytime. Street fight. Yeah, we'll do a street fight. What is a street fight? So uh, comedy here from Lex Luger this week. It was great, man. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I love the fact that Sting's like, come on, man. You're from the white collar section of Chicago. These guys are from the streets. Be serious. You don't want none of this. So they did excellent together. It wasn't just Luger. I think Sting did an excellent job as well, uh, playing off of Luger being completely stupid and agreeing to this match. So um, The best part was well nobody done, broke character because I don't know how they got through this without breaking character. This is not something they, they did very often, uh, comedy bits. Oh, no, yeah, I don't know how they didn't die laughing, but um, great job. Very fun segment. Lex Luger heads to the ring then to take on the Renegade, so the Renegade is back. We haven't seen the Renegade since Kevin Sullivan destroyed him, and then Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart together rubbed the paint off of his face and told him he was just Rick. It was reported at that point that Renegade was sent to the power plant to get repackaged and, and do, a little, do a little more training. We see the Renegade make his way out, however, and he's not repackaged. He has no music at first, but by the time he gets to the ring, they start playing his music. And it's the same old Renegade music. He's still called the Renegade. He's in the same gear, even has the arm tassels. The only difference, no more makeup. So that's how they repackage him here. They do him no favors. So he got written off months ago. They had all this time to repackage him, and it's like at the last minute here, they had no idea. They're like, eh, just go out there in your old gear. I didn't think this was fair to the guy. I mean, when you tell a dude you're just plain old Rick, and you t- you sh- basically visually strip him of his gimmick in front of the whole world, you can't have him come back out the next time you see him as the renegade. That completely makes you in your mind think like you shouldn't even care about anything they do because right. they don't even remember what they do, and that, that bothered me. Like my first note here is uh, I thought the dungeon and Jimmy Hart took away this dude's gimmick and right. now he's back as the renegade. Why not a different gimmick or why not just have him come out as his own name or something? Uh, okay, you want to call me Rick? I'll be Rick and I want to kick somebody's ass uh, right. for you treat me like this. So, yeah, it made no sense. It It makes my brain hurt and I feel bad for the guy. You basically neutered this dude on live TV in front of everybody, and then you want him to come back out here and try to get this shit over again. You're yeah. always going to be just plain old Rick when you're dressed up as the renegade. Yeah. And, the, you know, that's you can't what overcome I that. No. And the, the idea was to go back, train a little more, and return under a new gimmick repackaged, and we'll, we'll give you a push and see what happens. But he gets the same exact gimmick, which was a jobber on the way out. So he's a jobber here, even though he actually dominates the match. And he honestly looked good. You could tell he's been training. He looks like a completely different guy here. I'm not saying he's out here putting on a clinic, but he looked good. Everything he did looked good. And the power plant was yeah. definitely working for him here. The Renegade winds up missing a crossbody and bounces into the ropes as Lex Luger takes control of the match. Renegade makes the big comeback, nails a power slam, and the old handspring body attack into the corner and a bulldog out of the corner. Looking really good, putting moves together here. And Renegade finally going to the top rope for his old flying splash finisher, but the referee is distracted by Lex Luger, which allows Jimmy Hart to run to ringside out of nowhere and shove the Renegade off the top rope to the arena floor. Lex Luger goes outside, grabs the Renegade, tosses him inside, torture rack, 
ends this one five minutes and 46 seconds. I thought the Renegade looked really good here. It's unfortunate this is the outcome. Yeah, he, he did look pretty good. And the, the unfortunate thing is we know what happens to the guy who plays Renegade. Yeah. I think he committed suicide due to mm-hmm. the – and I know one of the things that they said was – or he said or he was really disappointed in himself for not getting this gimmick over. And it's just like this is the shit that happened to him. And he ended up taking his life. I hate to say it this way, but because of this. Right. And so that that's really unfortunate. You just don't know what people are thinking or what they're going through. And I'm not I can't you can't necessarily blame anybody for it. It's just wrestling and that's how it works sometimes. Um you're at the bottom of the list, buddy. You don't nobody really cares. Just go out there and do something. And it, it's unfortunate. But uh he did look better. He looked more believable. And I think with the right push or the right gimmick, not shoved down your throat, this is the next ultimate warrior. I think he could have been decent. He could have been that mid-card guy that just imagine if he got like on a path like Johnny B. Bad. And I'm not saying he's as good as Johnny B. Bad, but right. once he got with DDP and they started working and they really cared and they wanted to get better and you pair him with somebody like that and they have like an extended few, he could have got better and got himself over to a degree. And um, that's he never the worst, got that chance. That's the worst part stuff. of this. He He comes back here and he's looking – pretty okay he's looking it's probably the only good renegade match there is out there he's looking pretty damn good imagine if he had come back here with a repackaged gimmick and i don't mean like a gimmick where he's got to be painted up and things just like you said just rick wilson or you know whatever something along those lines that's yeah it would have been a completely different world but instead it's like nope you're the renegade and you just throw your old tights on i just terrible shit yeah So post-match, we see Jimmy Hart out there. He helped Lex Luger (laughs) pick up the win. So it's time for a little more comedy as uh, Luger picks up the win. But he made a deal with Sting that Jimmy Hart was not to be involved. It was either going to be Sting or Jimmy Hart. Of course, Luger chose Sting, but Jimmy's still out here helping. So Lex celebrating post-match with Jimmy Hart clearly standing right next to him in the ring until Luger sees Sting hit the ring. And then Luger looks uh, (laughs) looks at Hart and says, Get out of here. Like, what are you doing here? It was it was very comical. Another funny bit by Lex Luger. I had to laugh out loud. Uh, the comedy's great this week from, from uh, Lex. Sting says he told Lex it was either Hart or Sting. Why is Jimmy out here? Lex says, I don't know. Luger raises the renegade's hand as if to say, is this what you want, Sting? I don't care. Here you go. Again, another hilarious spot. Uh, by Lex Luger, and then Sting finally pins Luger up against the ropes. And Luger looks scared, and Sting tries to question oh my him. God. It was it was great from I, I can't even do justice to how funny this segment was. Jimmy Hart's in there with Luger; they're celebrating. Luger sees Sting, and it's almost like you're cheating on your wife, and you're you're just this lady next to you. It's like oh shit, you know. He sees Sting. Oh shit! He looks at Jimmy Hart's like, hey, what are you doing here? Even though he knew Jimmy was there. And, uh, yeah, oh, just man. the comedy ensued from there. Lex Luger, yeah, not, not bad. You wouldn't expect this from Lex. Like, this is not one of his fortes or background in wrestling is the comedy. No, it, maybe it is his personality a little bit when you get him going. I, I don't know, but uh, it's very funny. The best part to me was him trying to raise the hand of the renegade. Like, here, you can have the win. If this is what Sting wants, you can win. I'll give you the win <laughs> just to make Sting happy. It's like he didn't even care. And it was so nonchalant and so like just it was it was excellent, man. It was great. I loved it. I was dying laughing watching it. It's been a minute since I've seen it, and I yeah, was I, seen, I was laughing. I haven't seen this stuff or really 
paid attention to this stuff in forever, probably since the 90s. So this is like new to me, the comedy stuff. I don't remember this. Hoping we see and a little I told more you this. I told you this. Angle is great, man. It's great. I've been harping on it since we started this. And uh, I'm, I'm, th- I'm starting to sway you. Or Lex uh, Luger is. This segment was, uh, this week was great because it was funny. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm a big fan of this continuing every single week for months. Anything can get boring after a while. Speaking, uh, well, speaking of boring, <laughs> it's the oh, Road yeah. Warriors hitting the ring against Harlem Heat. I wrote sloppy, embarrassing at points with the Road Warriors, especially Hawk. Hawk winds up running into a Booker T knee from the apron and Stevie Ray with a power bomb on Hawk. Wow. I was impressed there. Actually, after I saw the move, I had to go back and watch. I said, was that a power bomb? Did he power bomb Hawk? Let him power bomb him in 96. So I had to go back and watch it. Sure enough. Stevie Ray power bombs Hawk Booker T tags in nails, the big scissor kick and we get heat with heat on Hawk Booker T and Hawk finally crack heads. and We get the hot tag to animal and the roadies are still over here. I noted here because the hot tag got a big pop, even if they're not the best in the ring anymore. Booker T with the Harlem hangover on Hawk. I can't believe he laid there and took that. It's a hit or miss and uh, Booker. Yeah, <laughs> he's up to get the ref. Uh, the referee's outside the ring with Stevie Ray and Booker T leans through the ropes to get the referee's attention and eats a boot from animal from the apron and knocks Booker T silly and Hawk covers and gets the win. Seven minutes, 46 seconds, unique finish to the match, but this was not a good match by any stretch of the imagination. No, the Harlem heat looked really good and, uh, they were crisp, you know, like the Harlem hangover landed perfect. Uh, maybe he was extra careful because it was Hawk and he probably didn't want to deal with it after the fact. The roadies gave him some stuff, like you said, the power bomb, things like that. But yeah, for the most part, the road warriors are out of shape. They're looking rough and um, they just don't, whatever that it factor was that they had in the eighties and things like that. They just don't have it here. Uh, I don't know what it is, but um, something's missing with them. It's just not clicking for me. Main event time, and it's six-man tag team action. 1989 everywhere here, Steve. On one side, it's three-quarters of the SummerSlam 89 main event. It's Hogan, Macho, and the Booty 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 Man. The only thing missing here is Zeus, who, ironically, will pop up next month in WCW. Here they take on Ric Flair, who would be managed by woman. Well, to be fair, at the beginning of 1990, Arn Anderson would return to Flair's side at the end of 89 and Kevin Sullivan out here with woman who he was kind of aligned with for a little bit there with doom in 89. So this is uh 1989 heavy <laughs> Sullivan and uh Flair and Arn take on Hogan and macho and the booty man. Arn starts off the match with who they call now the spy, the booty man. So they finally acknowledge that booty man was the Zodiac. And apparently all this time he was a spy in the dungeon of doom. So all the time he was helping the dungeon, try to murder Hulk Hogan. He was just a spy makes no sense, but it's wrestling and you can't question it. We see Kimberly, the diamond doll, formerly the diamond doll, Kimberly who has been with Johnny B. Bad in recent weeks. She's got flowers with her. All these names out here, Ric Flair, the macho man, Hulk Hogan. Who are they for? I think they're for the booty man. And at this point, <laughs> I I re- ask, yes, sir. Uh, before you get further, uh, did you get the line that Mongo said at this point? I don't know he what says, Mongo what? said. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, what do you think, Bobby? You think she's out here looking for some beef? 
And oh, I, Eden, didn't, I didn't even hear Eden's it. Eden's about to answer, and he starts stuttering all over his words. And I think Eric Bischoff was probably two seconds away from shit in his pants. And Bobby just kind of stuttered over his words and never really answered it. But, oh, my God, what the hell are you asking, Mongo? <laughs> you got to say you, she thinks she's looking for some beef. Is that what you can come up with? Yeah, I didn't even pick up on that line. Uh, I tune Mongo out from time to time. I try to pay attention to everything, but sometimes, man, I'm just like, am I, and especially in this match, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, that doesn't shock me whatsoever. Obviously, at this point, Johnny B. Bad's on his way out. We got Kimberly already morphing into a different gimmick here. She's looking to align herself with the booty, man. She's got a crush on Brutus Beefcake of all the guys out here. Brutus Beefcake winds up putting the sleeper on Arn Anderson. And then Sullivan tries to attack, so he lets go to Arn, and he puts the sleeper on Kevin Sullivan. They try the same routine with Ric Flair, but Ric Flair's wise. He backs off. He's not taking the sleeper from shitty-ass Brutus Beefcake here. A Beefcake is forced to work the first five minutes of this match. I wrote, just unfortunate. Savage is finally in with Ric Flair. Flair takes over, but misses a blind tag behind him to Hulk Hogan. And Hogan, wouldn't you know it, wipes out everyone, all three heels. Why even have partners when you can take down Flair and Arn and Sullivan all by your lonesome there, Hulkster? It's back and forth as the, the ladies wind up grabbing the legs of the Macho Man and tripping him up, and the heels take over with heat on Ma Randy Savage at that point. Kevin Sullivan and Macho Man wind up colliding, cracking heads. We just saw that in the last match, and we see a hot tag to Arn Anderson and the booty, booty, booty man, dude, as Hulk soon tags in himself and hits the leg drop on Arn Anderson like he's nothing. And gets the win in 12 minutes and two seconds. Hogan had to make sure to get that win back, brother. Well, of course. It just felt very flat, the finish, dude. It kind of came out of nowhere. There's a lot of stuff going on. And it, it was like the, the card camera was zoomed back, I think it was, if I remember right. And it just, like, it, I know it's coming up next, but um, it's almost like the finish was just there to be done because they was waiting for the angle to happen afterwards. So, oh, and what um, an angle it was. Very, very flat to me. That's how I felt. So we get this angle post-match, which you just referenced. It was supposed to see Miss Elizabeth handcuff Hulk Hogan around the ring ropes. Only she can't seem to manage to figure out how to do so. I don't know if it's because Hogan's arms are too big or she just can't figure it out or what the hell's going on here. But it takes her seemingly forever to get Hulk Hogan handcuffed mm -hmm. because she's supposed to cuff Hogan so that the heels can strap Hogan across the back, lay into him, and make him defenseless. Unfortunately, it takes so long, and it's so embarrassing because at one point the camera's right on Liz. And when it becomes obvious, it's almost like the recent Royal Rumble situation with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman, only the opposite. They couldn't get Reigns out of the handcuffs. They can't get Hogan into the handcuffs here. The camera actually has to fucking cut away because it's just getting too embarrassing. And Flair can't wait forever, so they just start laying into Hogan with the strap anyway. Before he can even be had. Actually, Hogan finally gets cuffed just after they finish strapping him. And so <laughs> Hogan tied up in the corner there to end this segment. I just wrote LOL. Just what can you do? It's another shit segment with Hulk Hogan involved. Uh, this wasn't his fault. Uh, he can't help it. His hands are too big or a wrist or whatever it is. But you got to think you should have practiced this a few times uh, before people came into the building. Just go down the ring, go to the corner. Hey, see if you can cuff me. See what issues we're going to have and let's go Let, let's give it a shot you're on live tv you can't have this stuff happen and um it was bad and 
I'll, I'll spoil it next week on not next week as far like the next raw as far as the billionaire ted skits go oh they lay into them and it's excellent it's oh, tremendous yeah. yeah it's not bad at all uh so uh, uh <laughs> can't wait to talk about that one yeah very that's and i think that's what made it flat for me too she just could not get those on uh for nothing and it's just like the Roman and KO spot. If you're waiting and waiting and waiting, it just takes it away from it. You can only suspend your belief for so long. And um, a minute, two minutes trying to get handcuffs on just ain't going to cut it. It should be noted that for the first time since its inception, there will be no WCW Nitro next week. Isn't it like a, a Civil War special or Revolutionary War? One of those. I have doing like no a fucking clue. I just know there is no Nitro next week which should technically give Raw the upper hand. If it does or not, well, well that'll be determined on the next episode of Monday Warfare. Um, but I also noted at this point, the cruiserweights at this point are sorely missed on these Nitros. These last two weeks have been, ugh, for the most part, and there's just been no sign of the cruisers whatsoever. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, they're the best part of the show, and they, they break up the monotony of the old guys. Uh, not having them on here, you get cluster after cluster after cluster, and it's not very good at all. Segment of the night, Steve, was it Sting taking on Big Bubba in a pretty solid TV match, Lex Luger and all his comedy glory, or was it the six-man of ass that closed that show? I'm going with the Sting and Luger segment. Uh, I thought they were very good, very entertaining. Even their matches were really good. So I think not necessarily the segment of the night, but the stars of the night were definitely Sting and Lex Luger here. Uh, everything they did was really good. And I, I will say one thing I am happy for is I'm glad Sting's kind of getting himself away from the Hulk Hogan macho man shenanigans. Right. Uh, that's the word of the, that's the word of the episode because it's a right. bunch of them. Yeah. You guys, uh, you guys go over there and you do you, you got Brutus beefcake now. So now we can kind of go over yeah. here and focus uh, elsewhere. Yeah. So the, they, they've gotten themselves away from that and they're, they're trying to, they're separating themselves in the tag division and doing their own thing. And uh, to be honest, I think it's really helped both, both guys. Um, because whenever you're behind Hogan and macho and not, not even really macho, when you're behind Hogan, it's all going to be about him and you're just going to be secondary. So go on your own, do your thing and you're going to do a lot better off. Those two kick, kicked ass tonight on that episode. Yeah. I've got to go with, uh, I think, uh, I liked, uh, I guess really segment of the night from him is probably just the initial sting and Luger promo. Obviously the other comedy bit as well between the two. But as you pointed out, Bubba and Renegade both came to work here tonight as well. So they, because don't get me wrong, Sting and Luger both had stinkers here uh, over the course of the last few months. They 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 can suck too from, from week to week, especially Luger uh, here in 95, 96. Oh, yeah. But these particular matches were really solid TV matches. They weren't going to be five-star classics, but they were really fun to watch. I enjoyed them. So I, I agree. They're both really the, the, the VIPs of the week, the MVPs, if you will, of the week, I should say. But I think I like that that segment, that uh, comedy bit, uh, the promo with the Road Warriors. I really wasn't expecting it. So as I was listening to it, I was really, really enjoyed it. I, re I really did. So changed my, my whole opinion of uh, Lex Luger here for at least a week in 1996. WWF news before we move into Raw. We have a tag team title tournament. Beginning as Billy Gunn, as I mentioned last week on Monday Warfare, Billy Gunn's out with an injury, so the titles are vacant. Tag team title tournament. And one of those matches in the first round sees Razor Ramon and Savio Vega beat the 1-2-3 kid in Tatanka 
after Razor pins Tatanka. I'm sure that was pretty on Superstars. I'm bringing that up because when we get to the semifinals, Razor will be suspended from the company, and that'll move on to Savio Vega being forced to team with the ringmaster or Stone Cold Steve Austin. More news on Razor Ramon is Roddy Piper and Razor had a confrontation and a taping that will almost surely never air, says DeMeltz. And he's right. It won't air for, ooh, gosh, 25 years? Roddy Piper slaps Razor Ramon in the face and eventually orders Ramon to wrestle Goldust in a match on the streets of Miami for WrestleMania 12. Of course, that match doesn't happen. Piper has to replace the bad guy, and it becomes a backlot brawl. Um, but I think this this uh, promo, is it not on the network now in the Hidden Gem section? It is. It's out there. When, they, f- when he gives him the, uh, the uh, Miami street fight. That's what I thought. So there it is. It's proof, uh, proof positive that this promo did exist. It just never made air because Razor winds up getting suspended the exact same day that he announces that he's signing with WCW. What are the coincidences? Shocker. Yeah, very odd how that happened. As we move on to Monday Night Raw for February 26th, taped back last week on the 19th, still in Cincinnati Gardens for an 8,500. Sonny now rocking a Stars and Stripes bikini, and yes, please, I don't know what it is. It's not really the American thing to me. It's just I don't know what it is with the Stars and Stripes and the bikini, but that's just something that does it for me every time, not just on Sonny, on any beautiful lady. You're not going to get any disputes from me. (laughs) (laughs) Jake the Snake Roberts in the ring to take on the future Kane. He's Dr. Isaac Yankum here. So it's billed as the DDS versus the DDT. At least Jake has a specially made shirt now and not that cut off green shit that he wore (laughs) at the pay-per-view. So at least he looks a little more like a wrestler instead of an indie or uh, outlaw mud show wrestler, if you will, a backyard wrestler. Jake actually has uh, actual attire here on this episode. He looks like the Don Don at the bar who's sitting in the back, like putting on the show, drinking beer and smoking a cigar. Yeah, with the shirt wide open. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just came in for mowing the yard, getting a cold one. Yankum takes over. He tries for his DDS, which is actually the DDT as well, but Jake grabs the rope to block it, and Jake comes back with his own DDT and picks up the win in only 3 minutes and 32 seconds. Wow. I'd say Yankum's career here is over, at least as a dentist. And as the match concludes, we see the snake bag lifting up off the ground as if the snake is trying to escape the bag, but Jake doesn't use the snake here. I don't know if Glenn Jacobs turned this down. Or if they wanted to salvage this, I'm not really sure what happened here, but the snake never comes out of the bag in this segment. I guess they're saving it for later, but I wrote, Jake looks rough. He just looks rough, breathing hard before the match yeah. even starts, just completely out of shape. He need, he needed DDP yoga in 96. <laughs> oh, he needed um, a lot more than DDP yoga. <laughs> he needed something. Yeah, he looked rough. I I was a fan of Jake from the initial WWF run. Who, who, how can you not be just promo wise? Uh, but I think, um, by the time he came back in 96 and I saw like how fat and out of shape he was, I never bought into it, his <laughs> comeback at all. Man, he is terrible right here. It's, it's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of shocking that Vince allowed him to yeah. continue to compete, knowing Vince the way Vince is allowing Jake. Maybe he had, a, you know, maybe, you know, we go back to that soft spot thing. 
Maybe he thought Jake would get back into that ring shape, take a little bit of time, but hey, I don't want WCW to grab him, so let's just uh, sail with this. Of course, it never really turns out right for Vince McMahon or Jake the Snake here in this run. I wonder if that's why they do like the alcoholic gimmick towards SummerSlam. Oh, that was unnecessary. That was ridiculous. Well, I agree, but I'm wondering if it's like, okay, I give you a chance. You've only gotten fatter and worse. You're not really trying. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do to you to punish you, and then you're going to be fired. <laughs> so <laughs> That's how it kind of goes for him. Wow. We get another Ultimate Warrior video here this week, and it includes children asking Roddy Piper to bring the Warrior back to the WWF. A lot of these kids are too young to even know who the fucking Ultimate Warrior is. So I got a question. Some of their ages here bring the warrior back. I don't even know if they know who the hell they're talking about, but they probably got free merch for this. So it is what Coliseum it is. Video man, Coliseum video. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> the the show rolls on. It's Big Daddy Cool Diesel out here with Bob Sparkplug Holly. Start your engines. WCW has Steve Grissom. The WWF have Bob Holly. At least Bob can get in the ring and work somewhat. Dual sport athlete. He's a dual sport athlete. Steve Grissom just taking up promo time. Cut that shit out and give us a cruiserweight match, Bischoff. Come on, dude. There you go. Diesel does all of his usual spots here. Bob Holly even makes a comeback, and Diesel bumps for a dropkick and some clotheslines from Spark Plug as we head into a commercial break, and we return. It's just a jackknife immediately. It's almost like <laughs> Diesel was sitting there waiting for them to come back from commercial break, and he hits the power bomb. Picks up the win in 5 minutes and 30 seconds. Post-match, Diesel leaves the ring as the lights go out. And as Diesel turns around, The Undertaker is standing in the ring. Uh, Diesel's not going to be outdone by the dead man. He, he returns to the ring. He's going to confront The Undertaker. But the lights go out again as Diesel enters the ring. And when they come back on, The Undertaker is gone. Diesel's forced to turn around again as The Undertaker reappears on the video wall. It is The Undertaker who is the master of mind games. Yeah, I like the fact that they're not making Diesel that chicken shit type heel. He's going right at it. He's doing his own thing, and um, uh, it just makes it for a better story to me. Uh, when Undertaker's not getting to him, like he's showing some signs that he's scared a little bit, like his face when he got dragged under the ring. He's kind of looking over his shoulder the whole time. Just little things like that that shows that maybe he's he's not necessarily scared. It's just more being aware of what's going on. And uh, I thought it was different because everybody's always been – even Yoko was scared of The Undertaker. So having Diesel not be scared was definitely a good call. I don't know whose call that was, but it was really good. Yeah, and I'm sure it was Diesel's call. I'm not afraid of nobody. Yeah, he is a, he is a charter member of the clique there, so he can kind of get away with whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, I agree, though. They did set that up perfectly to have someone act cowardly, and no, they had Diesel come right in there after him. And it was The Undertaker proving that he has the he is the master of the mind games rather than Diesel, who destroyed the casket last week. Now The Undertaker playing the old disappearing act here. And they didn't really do, it wasn't played out at this point. I don't even know if they'd ever done the whole lights out, lights on nonsense up until this point that I can think of off the top of my head anyway in the WWF. So it was something different, or at least... Fairly different yeah. from what we usually got in the WWF. So they were they were thinking outside of their normal box, Vince McMahon's box at the time anyway. Was it Beulah's box? Oh, man, <laughs> I wish. <sighs> Maybe not so much now, but 1996 all day. Oh, man. Show goes on. It's 
Ahmed Johnson. Taking on Shinobi. This, of course, is yet an, another incarnation of Al Snow under a hood. This time rocking the Orient Express music. Does everyone who hails from Japan have to have this music? First, it was the Orient Express, Tanaka and Sato. Then Tanaka and Kato, of course. Then it was Bull Nakano. Then Aja Kong. And now here it's Shinobi, who doesn't care to. Care. <laughs> What's that? I, oh, love I love the, the, I love I love the music, music too. Love but it's how many guys. This may be the most recycled music in WWF history. Did Quang have it? No. Quang Slow, it? shitty. Yeah, I said that from day one. I was like, why doesn't he have the Orient Express music, damn it? It was slow and shit. <laughs> Ding, dong, dong, gong. Shit like oh, that. Dude. Quang. He needed, the, he needed the Orient's music. So Avatar is clearly dead. Now he's Shinobi as it's a transition into Leaf Cassidy here in another week or two. And I had to laugh here as remember Avatar's uh, debut when he was slipping on the ropes we get a little more of the same here just al snow can't get it done in masks as he trips on the top rope trying a springboard into the ring falls flat on his face Ow! Right in the schnoz! and snow gets up and right into a spine buster and the pearl river plunge ahmed johnson makes short work of shinobi gets the win in a minute and 49 seconds yeah, I think what was going on during the match on the phone was the most important aspect of this Absolutely. entire thing. And holy and, shit. And I should point out, <laughs> uh, it's Goldust who calls in. He has a poem, an ode to President Piper. Goldust wants to know when he can play with Roddy's bagpipes. Wait a minute. Hello. Hello, Goldust. Are you there? Uh, Goldust joining us uh, this week, and for what purpose, uh, Mr. Goldust? My Marlena has directed me to recite a poem, an ode, to President Piper. Well, go right ahead. They call you the hot rod, but what exactly do they mean? A towering infernal of temper, or beneath that skirt, you're anything but lean. You preside over the World Wrestling Federation in a fashion that is so far gone. With all those sexy timber tantrums, you turn me on. Mr. President Piper, you are so mean, so hard, and so ripe. To you, I have but one request. When does gold dust get to play that bagpipe? I look forward to that invitation. I look forward with much lust. Mr. President Piper, you will never forget the name of... Gold I assure you, those comments from Goldust will not fall on deaf ears. When Mr. Piper hears that, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what year that is um, Acceptable? Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, you, you, you do whatever you want to do. I don't care. I don't, I don't judge you. You do you. This was... So far past that, that um, I wonder how many complaints they got. Good, good question. Good question. I mean, they they did bring Marlena in to kind of offset some of this, but the promo here from Goldust really it really doesn't matter who his valet or manager is or what he does yeah. in the ring at this point. This was a little over the top. I it didn't it didn't offend me, 
Nor no. did it. Nor did I not find. Nor did I. Uh, I wasn't insulted by it either. I found it hilarious. I just it thought was it was. I just thought it was crazy that that it made air. Yeah, that's what. I, that's that's my thing. Is like I don't. It was hilarious, and I'm just sitting there. I was like, I was gonna write it down. Some of them, and I'm just like, Good God, how did that? How did this get past? How did this get okayed? And, and I get it. Uh, it was funny. I was looking at wrestling magazines earlier, like on eBay, and I seen one where it's from '96, I think it was, and they said the WWS finally gone over the line, and it was the cover was Gold Dust, and uh, it got a lot of publicity, and a lot of people were talking about it. And um, I would, like I said, I would love to know if how many complaints they got on that poem, because man, playing with his bagpipes was. Like that was tame compared to some of the stuff they were saying he was saying. Right. And uh it's whew, it was something else. <laughs> I was caught off guard by it. I was like, Jesus, this made air? <laughs> like it'd be like HBO playing this this poem. I mean, it was pretty rough. <laughs> Remind reminds me of the promo Goldust cuts on Conan O'Brien going into WrestleMania. And uh, obviously, it's uh, all set up for a, a comedy bit. I don't think that it was rehearsed at all. You can tell it wasn't. But uh, Conan was definitely setting Goldust up to say whatever he wanted to say. And, and <laughs> Goldust starts talking about Roddy. And he says he wants Mr. Piper to come play in his, my back lot. Oh, it was, oh, my God. It was hilarious. <laughs> the crowd, the Conan crowd died. I mean, it was great. Oh, my God. Uh, good times. Yeah, absolutely. The innuendo in it was just. Uh, I I gotta say, man, Dustin didn't have a background in this. This was not a character you saw in the wrestling prior. So no, this is no, all it, off the cuff, and he just nailed it. Like ad lib, just bravo. How much input did Vince Russo have on this? I know I he have, takes credit for it. I have no idea. No idea. I would. It makes me want. Ninety six. Was he really on the creative team? Oh, he wasn't on creative. Not, no, he was. Uh, I'm not, not, not there it. yet. No. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Did Dustin just take the ball and run with it and come up with all this? I'd say a lot of it he did. And remember, Dustin's the one that went to Vince and said, "Hey, if you'll uh, pay for me to have a boob job, I'll you know I'll rock boobs with the gimmick." And Vince is like, "No, we don't have to go that far, Dustin." <laughs> Jesus, Dustin was doing anything. Yeah. Wow. It's so crazy to picture him saying that when, like, you know him from WCW as the natural and just this really, really good wrestler with really no character, just that fiery. He's Dusty. He's like Dusty in, like, the comebacks and things like that and his just his big personality. And it comes here and does this, and it's like a complete 180. Talk about separating yourself. He definitely did that. My God. Absolutely, yeah. Show continues on. It's Mankind Vignette number four. And now he starts talking about Mommy. He says Mommy always understood him. But when his music died, she sent him away. He never explains why music died. Mankind is suffering. And this is again, we meet his pet uh, rat who now is named George. Mankind still on his way to the WWF. And he has another nice day, I'm sure. As we see a WrestleMania 12 shirt, it's, it lists all of the prior WrestleManias and their cities and venues on the back of the shirt. Only $18. Did you own that one, Steve? I don't think I owned any wrestling shirts back in the day. Good man. I didn't buy anything. I think I went to a house show once and I, my dad bought me the oversized, uh, 
Macho Man foam hat, the green one, and then it lasted like two days because my dogs got a hold of it, and Lovely. so um, I was disappointed. But I, th- I think that's all I got. I don't, I don't, I didn't have a lot of merchandise as far as like the catalog and Titan ninety one stuff. I had the, the WWF merchandise and catalog got all kind of stuff in it, baby. Yeah, pretty much. I didn't have any of that shit. I just had the Hasbro's. <laughs> Back to Raw, we see a clip from WWF Superstars. It's Bulldog and Owen Hart over Hakushi and Barry Horowitz. Again, in the first round of the tag team title tournament, we learn next week the Godwins will take on the new Rockers. So from Shinobi to Leaf Cassidy, all on the same show, is Al Snow. We go to the ring. It's promo time with Vince McMahon as he brings out Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, the main event of WrestleMania 12. Shawn Michaels claims that nobody has more respect for Bret Hart than HBK. (laughs) Bret is the best there was. Maybe in the end of the day, he'll become the best there ever will be. But Shawn has to question if Bret is currently the best there is. Bret then, of course, being Bret, puts himself over his wins over much larger opponents. Go figure. Shawn has to beat Bret. Bret says he doesn't have to beat Shawn. The two men talk conditioning to which the shit hits the fan because out comes Rowdy Roddy Piper, the interim president of the WWF. Piper heard boos for both men. Piper says, you don't boo a guy like Bret Hart. You don't boo a guy like Shawn Michaels. There's going to be a winner at WrestleMania. Piper promises. Of course, Shawn Michaels had been putting over conditioning, so Roddy takes a jab at Shawn. He says, your abs don't mean nothing. I didn't even realize Shawn had these Great abs that Roddy was talking about here. He's not like he's Rick Rude or anything like that. Piper also looks to Bret Hart. Of course, uh, Bret had beat Piper at a prior WrestleMania. Piper says to Bret, anybody can catch a lucky night and win. So Piper referencing maybe Bret when he beat Piper, it was all luck. Piper then announces this is not a one fall match, but rather the man who gets the most falls will become the champion. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels agrees. But then they think, wait a minute, most falls, what's the time limit here? Shawn Michaels asks the Hot Rod, exactly how long is this match going to go? To which Roddy Piper replies, one hour. And then follows that up, we see Brett and Shawn shake hands. I'm sure that meant a whole lot to end this segment. So this is where they set it up. It's now an Iron Man match, 60-minute Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. This is really good. It, it got saved by Piper. It's kind of dragging a little bit, and then Piper came out at the right time. And I love how Piper put both guys over. I know you said uh, you can't boo a guy like Brett. He's like, this is a three-time world champion. And right. he beat Piper one day, but he doesn't remember because he wasn't there. Yeah, He had to get himself over, of course. That's of what course. they do. Uh, and then he's like, you can't <laughs> boo Sean because he's been dying his whole life for this chance, and he's going to do what it takes to win. So he's like, I get it. They're both good guys. You want to like them both. You have you pick your side, and you're that's your side. But he's like, you don't boo these guys, and he did an excellent job of getting that over. And then at the end, I don't think there's any heat between these two at this point. I don't. They may not like each other. Or he may not like what Sean does in the back. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's that heat just no. yet. Right. Sure, it's coming. But it's funny. He says Piper says they better shake hands now because they're going to hate each other after this and. You could probably say that the heat started after the end of this match when Sean told Earl to get Brett the F out of his ring. This is his time. Brett's always been pissed off about that, and I think that's that's probably where this all started. So Piper unintentionally, unintentionally foreshadowed 
the heat between these two well before it ignited. So um, all in all, this was an excellent segment. Uh, and mainly because of Piper, I felt like. The show goes on. It's the final match on the show. It's Yokozuna taking on both Owen Hart and the British Bulldog in a handicap match. Owen Hart bumps awesome for Yoko early on. Even the Bulldog, the powerhouse of the team, gets tossed around a little too. Yokozuna winds up missing a charge on the Bulldog in the corner and then eats an Owen Hart missile dropkick as we head into a commercial break. Back from the break, it's the heels getting heat on Yokozuna until Owen Hart misses a top rope splash. He makes the tag to the Bulldog, but here comes Vader again. As we saw it in your house, Vader interfered in the Bulldog-Yoko match. Cornette pleads with Vader to hold off. Yoko runs through a double clothesline by Owen and Bulldog, clotheslines them both. But then Vader attacks. He clotheslines Yoko, takes him down with a nasty shot. Nice clothesline by Vader, drops Yokozuna, and we get a triple team. Attack on Yoko, calls for the disqualification in five minutes. It's kind of a replay almost of what we saw it in your house. Only this time, Jake the Snake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson make the save. Well, Ahmed does anyway. Jake is so slow. Ahmed has ran the heels <laughs> off before Jake finally arrives to the ring with his snake. Yeah, I thought, I thought this was a good idea because like you mentioned it earlier how he didn't get the snake out for Isaac Yankum. And so, but he did it here. So I think that was, it was a smart move uh, not to give it away on DDS there on, on Isaac Yankum and uh, saved it to see the snake here at this moment uh, has a little bit more impact. So good on that. This was just a throwaway. Uh, you kind of figured that going in. Uh, they're not going to let Bulldog and Owen job to in a handicap match to Yoko, no matter how big Yoko is. And so they, you knew someone's coming. It wasn't bad for why for how long it lasted. They should have gave Jake a 30-second head start to get out to the ring because Ahmed Johnson's in there. <laughs> he's clearing Owen. He's clearing the bulldog. Jake's still huffing and puffing, trying to get down to ringside, carrying the snake, and he finally gets in there. Vader and Ahmed look like they're going to go toe-to-toe, and that's when the snake finally comes out of the bag, and even Vader bails at that point because everyone's afraid of a snake, I guess. And uh, that concludes that segment, so it looks like they're moving from that Yoko and uh, Vader match that they already announced as part of WrestleMania. It looks like it's going to turn into this six-man tag team match here. Thank God for that. Yeah, at the time, I wasn't happy. I, I would have liked to have seen three individual matches, just the mark in me. The more matches, the better, because it's WrestleMania. Of course, it was only three hours at this point, not four. And then one whole hour is one match. So I think that also cut into it quite a bit. And yeah, you're right. It wouldn't have been pretty watching Jake against Owen or the Bulldog or Ahmed versus, you know, the oh Bulldog. Um, no, none of those that things would have been that. pretty. Well, no, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been pretty. So it was a, a good idea to turn this into a six man. However, the mark in me at the time was upset that this was changed, especially because I just wanted to see Vader and Yoko go one on one. Yeah, I think we deserve that. But. Unfortunately, we didn't get it. I'm sure a lot of it had to do with Yoko's size and stamina and things like that at the start. But then they saw Jake, too, and it's like, there's no way we could put this dude in the ring by himself against somebody like Owen Hart who's just going to gas him in, like, 30 seconds. So I, I I can see why they went that way. But I'm with you. I, I was kind of, like, the same way. And then I was like, you know what? It's kind of cool to see these six-man tags. You didn't really get them very often back then. Sometimes you would get them just to get everybody on the card, but for the most part, they just didn't happen. So seeing these six together was pretty cool. And we're going to close out another episode of Raw once again. It's Larry Fling Live. 
This week, as promised, it's the Nacho Man and the Huckster as guests. As Larry Fling tells the two that they take him back to his childhood. And Larry King was a pretty old man, even at this point. So you can imagine how old they're referencing Hogan and Savage here. The Huckster is shown on the screen and the Chiron reads, recently injured by woman's shoe, which is true. Huckster asks, what you going to do when the Huckster runs out on you? Another reference to him leaving the WWF. Larry Fling asks, how's Liz? They say, not so great. As the flatulence begins, these guys are old. They can't keep their, their farts, their gas inside of them. So the remainder of this uh, segment, lots of fart noises going on. I'm sure Vince wrote those in. That's one of his favorite things. Fling asks the two, why'd they leave the WWF? The duo say the WWF told them they were too old to keep up with the new generation. Look at them now. Old and bald. Billionaire Ted calls in via satellite. Fling says, overpay him like the Nacho Man and the Huckster, and he'll put on tights too, like these has-beens. Wow. Hogan, or excuse me, the Huckster, raises a chair at Larry Fling, but Larry Fling raises a red high heel shoe, and the Huckster backs away. Lots of being old jokes continue, fart noises. That's comedy, pal. Nacho says, Ted promised him a win this coming mania, but Huckster replies, no way, brother. Huckster says it's <laughs> he needs to sell more merch, so he needs to win the match at WrestleMania. And <laughs> this is uh, this is great. This is the line. No way. They hand it out for free. And if you put it on, on, they'll TV. Yeah. And <laughs> and they'll put you on TV if you wear it. And that's the truth. It is the truth, Steve. We talked about that going back months now. The, yeah. the people in the front row wearing the Hulk Hogan merchandise. And it's that's the deal. It's the bargain. I don't like Hulk Hogan. That's okay. Put it on and we'll get you on TV. Oh, all right. That's pretty sad. And then they, I love the fact that they end it with, and that's the truth because it is. And the Huckster, man, <laughs> people start running in and the Huckster starts landing chair shots everywhere. People laying people out, which is, again, something Hogan's been doing lately, hitting people with chair shots. Of course, they're missing by a mile, much like some of Hogan's chair shots as well. Huckster, again, wants to uh, nail Larry Fling, but Larry Fling holding that red shoe up high. As the segment concludes, this is pretty funny. I love the fact that he pulled up that chair and then uh, Fling brings out that red high heel and he just kind of backs away like he's scared to death of it. So right. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, it's really, they're really uh, nailing them for what they're doing on Nitro every week. But it's kind of ironic they're calling old farts and things like that right after we see Jake Roberts take 45 seconds to get down the ring and can barely carry a sack with a snake in it. So um, uh, not not sure the visuals there, but um, yeah, uh, this one was funny for the, for some of the stuff, just knocking them for what they're doing. But the, the fart noises and the gag reel jokes, stupid stuff that Vince loves for whatever reason was kind it's of toilet crazy. humor, pal. It's good shit. It's hilarious. You say so. You can flush your toilet humor right down the shitter. But it wasn't very funny. No, the, 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 it, was un, it was unnecessary. Like, they, they were just adding extra things that you didn't need, like the fart noises. I mean, the stuff they were doing was good enough. A lot of these jabs yeah, were, were legitimate. I, like you said, I mean, I really enjoy, enjoyed the part about the whole merchandise thing, too. They really buried Hogan with that one. And um, again, oh, yeah. kind of referencing that wrestling's fake, at least over at WCW, not sure, and saying, I, I'm, I was promised to win at WrestleMania. 
So I thought they did some good jobs, but I, I agree that the killer uh, part of this segment was Hogan pulling up the chair and then Larry Fling pulling up the high heel and Hogan backing off, brother. So they, they had whoever wrote this one, which I feel this is maybe something Vince Russo helped write, something like this, this these uh, segments here. I can't say for sure who was involved in these, but uh, who no matter who wrote it, it was, it was a good job, and I'm sure Vince had his hand in it, obviously. The only thing missing. It's some fart sounds. They're old, get it? Ha <laughs> ha, they can't hold it in. Yeah, Vince Russo was writing in the Raw magazine at this point, uh, and a lot of the stuff he's saying kind of, this seems like more along those lines too. If you go yeah. back and read those Raw magazines, his uh, Venom Bites or whatever, he's talking about this stuff and how terrible it is, so it, it kind of looks, it resembles that to an extent. So I can see it. Segment of the night, Steve. Was it the Brett, Sean, and Piper promo? Was it the Yokozuna main event segment? Or was it Goldust wanting to play with Roddy's bagpipes? I mean, there's really nothing um, very good, I would say, on this show. Just, I don't know. But I, I'm going to go with the main event and then the Larry Fling segment. I thought that Larry, the Larry Fling was very funny because we've seen We've seen these. We've been watching these nitros a lot lately, obviously, and uh, the shoe gimmick just got way overplayed, and the chair oh, yeah. gimmick got way overplayed. So for them to get shit shit on all over by Larry Fling was just hilarious. I thought that was good, and then the mini event was solid. Uh, it's really cool to see that some of those guys like Ahmed getting the rub, being in there with Yoko and Owen and those guys. So the the kid in me when I was watching that show would have loved those guys all just beating the shit out of each other at the end there. So um, I'm going to go with the last, what, 15 minutes of the show. Good enough. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, <clears throat> Piper promo with uh, Sean and Brett because I think it did the most to to forward something that sets up the main event for WrestleMania. So it's the most memorable to me going back in time. Uh, we just saw this whole Yoko thing play out on the pay-per-view as well, so just felt like a rehash there as far as that goes. I did enjoy the Larry Fling segment. I thought that was great. I just don't want to pick that as the segment of the night. Um, I guess just because <laughs> it's all comedy, although I picked Lex Luger for the comedy, so I suppose I could do yeah. that. But I, I think I just I like the promo. I thought, Piper, like you said, once Piper came out, that really turned it up a notch, and I thought they did a really good job with the way they set everything up. So I'm going to go with that here as uh, it looks like. The ratings are in. The record is broken again with a combined 6.3 this time rating and a combined nine share. It's basically one in every 10 homes. They have it on wrestling here for February 26 with Nitro winning this week with a 3.2 rating and a 4.6 share to Raw's 3.1 rating and 4.4 share. So Nitro does a 3.2. Raw does a 3.1. Very close, but Nitro edges this one away. The numbers are doubly impressive since neither group had a real marquee must-see type of match this week, and both shows were pretty weak in general. And the shows last week were pretty weak in general, too, so for them to carry that audience over and then add some more to it tells you the mindset of people uh, watching wrestling in 96. I think they were clamoring for it, whether what they were getting was good or bad, nobody really knew at the time, but uh, 
people wanted to watch wrestling. It was cool again. And there's really nothing going on in February anyway. As far as TV goes, after the Super Bowl, there's like a dead area. Nobody really cares. No, no baseball. Basketball's heading towards the All-Star break. NASCAR is up and running, I guess. But that's on Sundays. So, I mean, there's really nothing to watch besides wrestling as far as physical activity and things like that. So, um, they always get a bump, I'm sure, in February without competition. And um, they're utilizing it. I'm surprised by that. Just because, like I said, the shows last week sucked. And for them to carry that over and even add more to it with this, what they've given them, I mean, it's crazy to just think. It makes yeah. you wonder what really does draw in ratings. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, at this point, I think it's the competition between each other that probably draws a little intrigue. Like, oh, they're going up against each other. I mean, that's yeah. what always draw me, drew me in. I mean, I was a wrestling fan anyway, but I was always curious. Yeah. Like, what were they doing over here? Not so much I wasn't breaking things down quarterly or seeing what was competing against what. What did they have on each show? At the same exact time, I just was curious what was on this show and what was on this mm-hmm. show. And that's, you know, sw- flipping back and forth, which is why I ruined a lot of taping back, you know, at that time. And so- sometimes I just flip the TV back and forth uh, uh, from Raw to Nitro. So my tapes sometimes weren't the best, like as far as an entire episode of something. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're right, though. Let You know, the last week's up the 19th. Neither show is very good this week. Again, neither show is really all that good. So we got two weeks straight from both companies where not really putting out the best product of all time here, uh, closing out February of 1996 anyway. We'll have to see what happens moving forward as we head into Uncensored and WrestleMania here, and we move into March uh, on the next episode of the Money Warfare Show. Steve, uh, who's the real winner here for you? Yeah, real winner. Um... I said neither show was that good, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, the action the action was lacking. That's the problem, I think, with Raw lately. It's just been a lot of segments and vignettes and just pushing storylines for WrestleMania, which is fine. I don't have any issues with it. It just it can lead to a boring show sometimes because some of these matches just aren't very interesting to me. So I, I'm going to go with Nitro again. I thought, you know, the Bubba match was really good with Sting. Um, the Renegade put on a decent match with Luger. And then the comedy stuff with Luger uh, and the promo with the roadies. And then the after his match stuff was great. So Luger and Sting sealed the deal for me with Nitro this week. Can't believe I went with Nitro twice. Just Raw. I'm, I'm want to pick Raw, to be honest with you. But Raw is giving me nothing. And I can't go based off of Larry Fling. I can't do it. Yeah, it's going to be curious to see what Raw does next week when Nitro's not even on. I yeah. feel like you, this feels like this strike while the iron's hot, but it's really not hot. But with Nitro not on, it feels like this is something Vince should capitalize on. And I just feel like knowing Vince McMahon, that's not something he's going to do. We'll give him even less next week, pal. Ha <laughs> ha, more Probably. fart noises. Probably. My real winner is WCW Nitro as well. I mean, it's probably out of these four shows we did this week, it's probably the only show that I, could, I would consider good to a degree. Yeah. So I, I absolutely, I think without a shadow of a doubt this week, i definitely go Nitro uh, without even question <laughs> to it. So uh, that wraps up another one. As we close out February, we move into March. We've got about three more months of WCW Nitro before they head to two hours. So there's uh, always that to go on. So until we get to that point, we're going to keep doing two weeks of Nitro and two weeks of Raw. Of course, next week it's only one week of Nitro and two weeks of Raw because, like we pointed out, there's no Nitro for the first week of March. 
Uh, but Steve, man, I appreciate you being here, closing on another one, another month done of uh, Monday War, uh, the Monday Night War. Yeah, we're clicking them off, man. We're ripping the pages off the calendar. So uh, we're starting to get there, though. Like we're starting to see like Stone Cold Steve Austin and and some things like that. They're definitely doing some things, and uh, business should pick up and get better. It's just it's a rough patch right now, <laughs> really bad. Yeah, I mean the talent is there to a degree. Certainly, they're in WCW. They have they're just not utilizing the talent that's there. Yeah. Of course, that that should change to some degree. Uh, hopefully, sooner than rather than later. Uh, <laughs> but you guys keep uh, sticking around. Stay tuned and keep checking over at Patreon.com/slash/WrestleCopia because as part of that all access tier, that watch along series for five dollars a month, subscribe. You can cancel any time, but I don't think you will. It's really good stuff. Be on the lookout for WrestleMania 12 to watch along, as well as Uncensored 96. That's going to be very interesting. The uh, Alliance in Hulkamania, that (laughs) triple-decker, four-tiered cage of fuck, mess, nonsense, whatever you want to call it. Can't wait till we get there. It's going to be a fun time when we uh, cover that one. Uh, But until then, Steve, I appreciate you knocking out another one. Uh, Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, we'll be back very, very soon with another edition of Monday Warfare. Until that time, Ray Russell and Steve Access saying thank you for joining us on another edition of Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. (laughs) 